And welcome again today. Thank you. Thanks for your time. And uh, we're happy to give ours. And it's re- was, was good for us yesterday. We enjoyed doing what we did yesterday. We noticed, though, that uh, many of you did not enjoy the format yesterday. Who felt a bit challenged by the format yesterday? Yeah, be honest. Yeah. Right. Why do you think that was? Do you know why? Yes. Say why. Put up your hand and say why. <laughs> hang <laughs> no, on, don't hang on. To wait for the mic. Um, because we felt left out. There was no yes. interaction with the yes. crowd. Yes, <laughs> very good, Alex. Yes, that's very true for many of you. Yes. Um, Alison? Alison, at the back. You have to be on the ball, Finley, sorry. <laughs> for me, it was also because there was no eye contact with us. Um, which is the same thing, really, isn't it? Which is the same it? thing. It? it was like just watching someone having a conversation as opposed to engaging us yeah. know, with, with your presence. Yes, uh, exactly. Yes. So what do you get from my presence? Specifically AJ's presence. Someone else can have the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Alison wants to avoid that question, so let's go to someone who does not want to avoid that question. Who can answer that what question? What do you get from my presence? I forgot, Carolina. Yeah. And then come down to this. My addictions? Which addictions, Carolina, get A- met? Attention. You get, so you get some attention from Daddy, who loves you? Yep. <laughs> yes, good. What else do you think uh, that you get? Sandra, did you have something? Sandra, if you... The same thing, but also this, um, someone's interested in me. And yes. someone wants to, li- like, someone wants to actually listen to me. Yes. yes. And, yeah, yes. always wanting to be listened to. Yes. Needing to have our personal desires and, and uh, desires met, basic desires met by somebody who wants to listen to you. Yep. Yes. And if that person is Jesus and Mary, wow. <laughs> that yeah. makes it, you know, yeah. a billion times better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I feel that... I feel for many of you that just so long as anybody listens, you're happy. <laughs> and you know, um, I said to AJ once he'd prepared, well, we prepared it a little bit together, but once he'd finished the outline, I said, babe, if we just start this with you giving the talk, you'll get to the point one and it'll be the end of the, you know, there'll be so many questions and people wanting to tell their story and their personal example. Yeah. And so that's why we wanted a different approach to, to just present some material And you notice what myself and Mary are trying to do lately is deal with more and more of your addictions. So one of the things we're wanting to try to do is ask you this question, this underlying question. Are you so interested in the truth that you don't need your addictions met while you're hearing it? Can I say that question again? Are you so interested in the truth that you don't need your addictions met while you hear the truth? See, see, for most people, they're not that interested in the truth because, uh, because they're only interested in truth if their addictions are being met at the same time. And then right. I have another question is how much truth can we absorb if our addictions are being met while we're listening to it? Exactly. Particularly if you consider that your addictions are coming from your heart and what you think you want is coming from your mind. So, so many of us come along actually looking for our addiction to be met. Now, now you're doing it far less than you used to do it because for some of you, you used to go along to people like Tony Robbins and those kind of like really inspirational speakers and the main reason why you went along to those kind of people is because they met most of your addictions 
and you felt fantastic. You felt so fantastic afterwards that you were willing to pay six hundred bucks for the for the half a day session, 6, or six thousand bucks <laughs> for a week. You you were so absorbed by those addictions, and they, you got so many of them met. It was so wonderful, and so you were willing to pay out that amount of money. Uh, for, with with us, sometimes uh, um, some of you feel even resistive to a dollar coin donation <laughs> because you can feel the uh, amount of confrontation that's there inside of your soul at times. So what we want to do is encourage you to allow that confrontation to continue. Does that make sense? Allow the confrontation to continue because, because, because you can't become more loving without a confrontation inside of your own soul happening. Yeah. Yeah. And something that happened yesterday is that many of you avoided the confrontation. And many of you who were parents, your children displayed how much you were avoiding that confrontation of your addictions not being met. So many of you who are parents actually would have noticed about, uh, well, there were different times during the conversation. Um, when, when, when we presented something that was very confrontational to the soul and your ideas of what free will should be like in comparison to what we were presenting, what happened was that many of you just sort of went away from yourselves in that moment. And I don't know if you noticed, but there were times when the kids were just excessively loud and and unruly. And very few of you parents actually even noticed it happening to your own children, enough to even address it with your children. Does that make sense? So So that's an indication that... Something's going on with you with the information. Yeah, and can you see how you're avoiding the confrontation? That's demonstrating that you're avoiding it. You're being confronted and going, oh, I'm going away from this. Whereas you could have sat there and gone, this is really triggering me that they're not looking at me and I want to, I want to be able to say something right now and really and gone into the I've got a question, why can't they ask me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so what we're trying to do is uh, present, we want to present more truth. Remember I said to you some time ago that I have a lot more truth to present to you. But, but often what's happening, uh, what has been happening in many of the discussions we have with people, and we notice this a lot when we were overseas actually, that we would go to an entire audience and the spirits and the people in the audience did not want to hear what we had wanted to pre- present. And so there was distraction after distraction after distraction and question after question after question. A lot of times questions that I've answered 50 times before, right? And, and the reason why is because they wanted to take away from the actual discussion. So, for example, one of the actual discussions I haven't got around to delivering yet was a discussion about pseudo-spirituality, for example. And I tried to start that in England because it was an ideal place to start that talk because uh, there's a lot where, where we actually gave the talk was a whole township that was involved with sp- pseudo-spirituality. And yet, because of the amount of influence there and the amount of spirit influence there, and the amount of digression that occurred in the group, it was impossible to even present one or two of the points about that particular issue. So these are are things that we notice happening. So what we'd like to encourage you to do is uh, to today, we're going to, obviously we're going to talk more about some practical situations involving your free will. And so today, obviously there are going to be specific challenges in different areas that uh, you'll, you'll see happening inside of yourself with regard to um, the particular points that we bring up. Try to stay present if you can. We noticed yesterday quite a number of you fell asleep as well. Um, and 
Monique, there's that little spirit with you who has a giggle out loud every time we say something. And it's not always funny, even what we say. But anyway, um, the, often what happens is that um, we, we feel... What was it? You, I just got distracted by Monique's laugh now. People fell asleep. Yeah, that's right. And I wanted to say, you don't have to stay. You can go home and You can go home and sleep on a bed if you want. <laughs> they can be much more comfortable. And you know, otherwise you sort of... Drooling on your neighbour's shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know that's that's something that's worth thinking about. So, um, there there's another issue that we wanted to address surrounding addictions. Yep. That's about um, this issue. Firstly, this desire to have your full, undivided attention in the way that um, that the audience would like it to happen. Mm. But the second thing you wanted you mentioned to me was about. Um, the level of demand for us to keep producing things. Yep. Um, a lot, everything we do is free, of course. So, so, but what often finishes up happening is we often get a lot of emails and, and requests by many people in an audience. Oh, when's that going to be on YouTube? And when's this going to be you know, downloadable on the internet? And what, you know, what, what, when are you going to do that? And we've even had a lot of complaints, actually. And, and sometimes people get... Like, isn't there anybody there who does anything type of feeling towards this, like, um, waiting for the next thing to come out? And, and this, is a, uh, this is an interesting thing about doing things for free, is that after a while people expect them to be done for free and therefore don't realise the work that goes in behind the scenes to a lot of things. So, so for a talk like this, for example, there's a, around about... Uh, well, firstly, there's the talk itself then Igor has to actually upload the video information and then edit it. And edit, it's a two-camera edit, so it goes back and forward, back and forward, back and forward with the cameras. And then there's a potential of flaws in some of the audio, so he's got to actually find out wherever there's any flaw and get our recorded sec backup information in the audio into that flaw. And, and potentially you can spend anything up from, from, from five or six hours to ten hours to fifteen hours, depending on what kind of problems you have, doing that one edit for one particular show. Then on top of that, myself, I actually unload the camera and back it all up and do a double backup of all of our data, and that takes another four hours of time. So, so for every single thing that gets produced, there's all this time being eaten up, and there's very few people available to actually do the edits who know how to do them and who even want to do them. And, uh, and a lot of it is done and, uh, for free, of course. So, so you sort of, when you have demands upon people that it happens in a certain time frame, you're forgetting that you're already receiving a gift of love by having the seminar in the first place without there also. And then the fact that we do put it on YouTube and everything is also a gift of love, but, but it's something that needs to be not demanded. And, uh, and sometimes the level of demand gets quite extreme, particularly if, we, if I haven't updated something for you know, three or four weeks or longer, um, the level of demand gets quite extreme. And, and to be frank, sometimes I feel like, well, the higher the demand goes, the longer this period is going to go, sort of thing, while we deal with this emotion. So we'd encourage you to deal with that emotion as to why you feel so needy for the information, because there's a difference between neediness and actual absorption of the information. Many of you are needy for more information all the time, but you've barely even begun to absorb the information that's already there at the soul level. 
And so my suggestion is if you're sitting around waiting for the next thing, sometimes you're better off going back to some previous things that you've skipped over. Does that make sense? And that's what would be our suggestion. Okay, there's two points we'd also like to raise that I did not cover yesterday, and so I need to cover them. And the first, they're both about free will. The discussion, remember, is the human soul. This is part two, if you like, of the human soul and the gift of free will. So the first point is I want to explain to you how your free will affects the changes in your soul condition. Can I, I want to explain to you the link between those two things. So if you imagine this is your soul and it has a certain condition of love. So let's, call, let's have a scale drawn here of conditions in love and we'll call the scale from, from 1 or from 0 to 10 in terms of condition of love. And let's call at the moment condition of 10 is at 1 with God. We're, we can go beyond that in terms of love, but let's just call that 10 at the moment. So there's our soul, and our soul's in a certain condition of love now. So every spirit who's present today and every person on the, on the earth who's present today has a different condition in love. And there's sometimes little finely attuned differences in these conditions, right? But everyone has a different condition. But let's say we were here, say, we were here in the second, somewhere in between let's say, the first and the second condition of love. So this is a condition of love, let's call that. So we're here. Now what we want to do is look at how our free will and how the choices made with our free will affects this condition. And, this is, and it's very simple, actually. If I make a choice that's higher than my current condition of love then my soul condition will grow. If I make a choice that's lower than my current condition of love, my soul condition will degrade. And if I make a choice that's equal with my soul condition of love, then my soul condition will remain the same. Can you see that? So, babe, perhaps you can explain to us what you mean by making a decision higher than my condition of love. Okay. Well, let's give, let's give some examples, shall we, in terms of what will happen in each case. So let's say my normal state of love is that I don't do very much for other people at all. Like my day-to-day life, most of it's spent just caring for my own needs. and my. So let's say I'm a single guy, you know, and most of the day is just spent doing what I want to do. It's very rare for me to, to do anything that anybody else, want, anybody else would like or needs. And I spend most of my life just going through my life trying to fulfil all of my own desires and passions. And I'm not very concerned about what anybody else really needs or wants on the planet. As long as I'm happy, I'm happy. And if I'm sad, then I might cry but, or, or I might be angry. Um, when something doesn't go my way, but I'm not that concerned if something doesn't go somebody else's way. Does that make sense? Let's say that's my condition. And let's say some, a situation comes along where on the side of the road there's a person that's stuck and their wheels off the car and everything, and normally I'd just go bar and past and look at them and maybe even wave <laughs> and, and just go past and without doing anything. 
But this particular day, I think, no, I would like to help them. So I turn it around, go back, stop, and help them put their will on the car and get them and maybe take them into town so that they can ring up the RACQ or RAA or the automobile club that they're a member of or whatever I do for them. I have now given the gift of my time and the gift of my love to that person in that moment. I have just grown my soul. Just a smidgen more than it was before. But it's grown. So, Does that make sense? Does that, does that make sense to everyone? Yep, okay. So if we can relate this to some of the truths that we talked about yesterday. Yep. Excuse me. <coughs> oh, you, you said you want to have a decent cough yeah, when I turn thanks. you off? <laughs> Sorry, don't know uh, the whole world hearing Mary's cough. Uh, we said yesterday <laughs> that I can use my free will in any direction, on mm-hmm. any matter, in harmony with divine love and divine truth, mm-hmm. without having a negative consequence. Yeah. And you're and in actually, fact it would be a positive. Consequence. It will grow yep. my soul. Yep. However, I may also experience some pain, mightn't I? There is times when I might experience some pain. So, for example, I, I stop. I stop. In the case of the previous example that I just gave, I stop on the side of the road, pull over. You know, I do the I do the things that you know for the person. But I left my car open, and uh, and I forgot. And I drove into town with them. I fixed up, helped fix up the car. Drove into town with them. Left my car open. And when I came back, all of my wallet was stolen out of my car. So there might have been a negative. <laughs> Something negative happened when I tried to do something positive. Okay, so I was thinking more about the emotions that I might experience. There might also be that. Because this is the the point that I suppose we talked a lot about these truths having to enter our soul, not be from our intellect. But it may be that we might still have some errors within us that will be triggered when we act in harmony with these truths in our soul. Hey. Yep. So the man who pulls over on the side of the road helps out the person and then the person's one of these persons that you can say, yak, 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 yak. Bit like AJ actually, but anyway, yak, yak. And they're yakking away, you know, and you're going, I just want to get away from this person now. I'll have to remember to never pull over again. That kind of feeling almost comes up. And this is because it's triggering another emotion where you can't just say, I'm sorry, mate, but I've got to go now without feeling drawn into some kind of conversation with the person. So this is maybe the reason why I'd never stop in the past because people annoy me. Yeah. You know, so... But this time I think, okay, I'm going to... No, like I feel to use my will in harmony with God's love and truth, I'm going to help this person. Mm -hmm. So, But in order to stay in harmony with that love and truth... While this person's yakking away, I'd just be humble to the fact that, ah, yeah, this is why I never used to do this because this, I feel a lot of pain about the fact that this person is just... I feel like there's no space for me. Actually, I feel really unloved in this situation yep. and I could actually deal feel with an emotion. And, and yeah. deal with it. And, but it would be a feeling, a sense of a feeling of pain would be there, obviously. That's, I guess that's what I'm it. trying to elucidate, the fact yep. that yep. we... Because very often I feel there is a tendency to say, well, I'm not that loving yet, so I can't really do that. (laughs) Whereas there's another, we have the opportunity, don't we, to be humble while we take these actions and actually grow. And that's why, in fact, our soul condition elevates after we do it, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But also, if if you can see that when we go into a positive direction with the thing that we choose to do, when we go into a positive direction... 
we will automatically be confronting any negative thing inside of our soul that would have normally kept us in this place. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So, so when, we actually, when we actually act in harmony with more love than exists in our soul, it's going to be an automatic process that some kind of negative emotion will be experienced because of the confrontation between that new condition of love that we're aspiring to and our normal condition of love that we are currently in. Does everyone get that? Yeah. That's what I was trying to say with all my long wit. That's exactly what I was trying to say. So, so, so the key thing to understand is that in the course of a day... We often do many positive things, but then we often do many negative things. We often do many positive things in the course of the day. And like I've drawn before, many times we cycle like this, you know, depending on what happened during the day. And then we end up with exactly the same condition, unfortunately, that we started out with at the start of the day. Right? And it doesn't have to be that way. What we could do instead, wherever the eraser is... Um, might have been on the back of the book. Yeah, there it is. So what we, what we can do instead is understand that all we have to do, we don't have to be perfect. All we need to do is something that's more loving than what we would normally do. Yeah. Do, do you get that? To grow, that's all you have to do. You just have to do something that's more loving today than you would normally do. Right? And because it's more loving, it will confront whatever thing wants to keep you at equilibrium wants to keep you at that point where nothing gets confronted. If we choose to do something that's less loving than what we would normally do, then we degrade our condition. It, our condition gets worse. For most of us, in the course of a day, what we do instead of both of those things is we do what we would normally do. And that's why our condition doesn't change very much. Does that make sense? It's quite simple, like, it's a quite simple law of physics really, isn't it? Like, if you do something above it, you will rise or aspire to it. If you do something below it, you're going to go down to that condition or head in that direction. And if you do much the same as you've always done, then of course you're going to get basically exactly the same results as you've always gotten. And that's how it works. So if we understand that this soul does not have to be number 10 every time it chooses to do an action... It doesn't have to be number 10 in love every time it chooses to do something. Many of you believe this. This is why you go, is this really loving? Is this really? If I was perfect, would I be doing this? And it's, it's a good question to ask, but at the end of the day, we're not perfect. So, you know, it, 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 it sometimes is more of a, like, what do you call it? Uh, when you're asking a question that's got nothing to do with Rhetor real life. Uh, rhetorical question? No, no there's a Hypoth hypothetical situation. Because none of us are here yet, so... So how can we, you know, even hypothetically conceive what that amount of love is? But many of us do know what a more loving thing is in the course of a day. Can you see that? Just even a slightly more loving thing is going to be better than nothing. Right? And so when we choose even a slightly more loving thing than what we would normally do, we are now growing our condition. So many of you, when you go into fear of hearing like this free will discussion, you're now thinking, I can't make any mistake. I have to do everything perfect. Right? If I don't do anything perfect, there's a consequence to everything I do, which is also true. These are all true things. However, then we go, maybe the fetal position home <laughs> is the best option. 
And it's definitely not the best option because where does that position leave you? In that place. In the fetal position, yeah, doing nothing, right? That's where it leaves you. Right? And, and this is the problem that we face is that inaction is just as long, has just as much long-term damage to us in a way because inaction means that we can never grow and we want to grow. That's, that's the point to it. And so it's, very, it's also very hard to take no actions, isn't it? Well, that's what... Yeah, it's you very You can only difficult. remain in the fetal position so long so that you long. have to go up you and have get, to go to the shop. at some point. Yeah. And you, you already start taking actions, don't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. You have to go to the toilet at some point. You have to eat at some point. You're not going to be able to say... You're going to have to interact with somebody at some point, generally. And, and even if you go and be a hermit, you're going to be interacting with nature at some point. Like you're going to have to interact with something at some point. And as a result of that, it's very important to understand that, if, that, that God's universe is actually governed into forcing you to act at some point. The whole universe is forced around, about causing us to act, whether, whether we'd like to engage the action or not. And I think that's really beautiful. It is. Because it yes. means we're going to grow, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Joy, you're very um, demanding today, Joy. What's I'm going sorry. on? That's all right. But fire away. I'm trying to be involved. Yeah. That's I good. was just concerned about kids up there. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> is, is it true then that um, what stops me perhaps from choosing what's more loving is um, I, to avoid that pain of what it's going to show up? Always. Yeah. Always. The only reason why we don't choose that course of action, the positive course of action, which will lead me to a more loving event, is because generally in the soul I know that the difference between those two conditions has some degree of pain associated with it. And to be frank, most of us are using our will on a moment-by-moment basis to avoid pain. We spend most of our lives avoiding pain. So, so So what's our God? Our God's not God. Our God's Fear. not creator. It's our God is pain. And when I say pain, it's, it's the God because it's what, you're try, what you're trying to avoid can become your God. It becomes the thing that rules your life. So if you're trying to avoid fear, then fear becomes your God. If you're trying to avoid pain, then pain becomes your God. And everything else becomes subservient to it. Can you see? So it's far better off to say, oh, no, pain is a beautiful process. Right? This is a feeling we need to eventually have in our soul. If I'm in pain, a lot of the times it means I'm growing. I'm stretching something. Something's, something's doing something at least. I'm, I'm changing. Whereas uh, if I'm just in the same perfect condition all the way along, nothing's changing, then of course nothing's changing. It might feel like everything's fine, but the reality is I'm not growing in more love. And if I want to be at one with God and enjoy the blessings of being at one with God, I'm going to have to at some point decide to grow in more love. At some point, I need to make that decision. It's similar, isn't it, to the example that we gave yesterday about the parent with the painful childhood who now doesn't want to parent their child because it will trigger their pain. Yeah, that's correct. So let's look at the negative direction. See, many of us, what we don't realise is that we take choices in a negative direction and, and then we, of course, go downhill. Now, what I see often happen, and I described this to some friends the other day, is I see that a person hits a point in their progression, they're progressing along, and sometimes they're progressing slowly up, right? This, right? 
Sorry, baby. <laughs> She's worried. Are you good? So I'm progressing slowly up, and then I hit a point, let's say it's right at my mm. wrist there, where all of a sudden I, I feel pretty challenged. Yeah, many of you have had this, yes? Where you feel, oh, this is pretty challenging. Like, I'm really angry now, and I'm really upset now. And this I can't is control like, anything in my I life right seem, now. Yeah, I don't seem to be able to be back, get back to any equilibrium in my life. You know, everything seems to be topsy-turvy now. And then what happens is if we exercise resistance at that point, then new events will continue to happen in my life through the law of attraction. But unfortunately, while I'm resisting this point, my progressions, I start making choices in harmony with the fear that came up at this point. And so I start to go downhill. You see, it's a slight downhill, right? But then eventually I'll be presented with a decision point. And at this decision point, the issue will be so large that I'll either do this and just sort of fall off the precipice of any development and really go downhill very rapidly after that, or I will correct it and then start going back up again. It's sort of like almost a point where once you hit it and if you go over it, and you go over it in the negative direction, you very rapidly make choices out of harmony with love. And these are the points that happen when you're in a rage. When you make decisions and choices that are based on anger and rage, you very, very rapidly degrade your developing condition. So, so you go along for a period of time, nice and even, and then you decide to engage a process, and this is what generally happens for many. They engage the process with their free will, and their condition of love starts improving. But then they get to a point where there's some really big issues that come up for them. Like there might be some deep grief associated with their childhood that, that they've been avoiding all their life. And then for many of us, we get into resistance of that so we, and we start making choices based on the anger that we feel at that point rather than releasing it. We start making choices. So we go along like that for a while. But the law of attraction will start, it will start working to try and get us going in the other direction again even more. And when then we get to a point here where a big issue comes up, a really big issue. And sometimes I see it with, you know, between a husband and a wife where they're here, they're growing in their relationship, then it sort of stalls and then it goes downhill a little bit and then a huge issue comes up where some, one of them has the option of cheating on the other or one of them has the option of going to a new job in a new location or something or, one of, you know, and, and there being some very big stresses on the relationship at that point. And then many people, at, because they've yet to address this issue here, address this one with the same rage and whammo, down goes their condition very, very rapidly. Right? And that's a sad thing to see because they've made some progress, they've hit the rage, the rage is an indicator of how big the problem is and yet instead of, instead of addressing that as fear and then getting to the grief... They then act upon their fear and their rage until such a point that a big issue is attracted and when that big issue comes, they bang. They've, they've sort of lost to everything for a while. And I've seen people then stay in this condition for many years and then realise, oh, that all began because I didn't deal with this problem. 
the one that was just gently brought to my attention that I resisted. Does that make sense? And we need to be aware that this is what happens with regard to the use of our will. When you act upon your rage and you act upon your fear, you are using your will to degrade your own condition. When you act upon love, what you know to be more loving that is currently in your soul that you normally would express, you are now in the position where you are elevating your own condition. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be more than where you are. Does that make sense? And what I love about the way God's created this process is that God's not expecting us to be perfect when we come from an imperfect state. But God it wants us to desire to act with more love. And that's all we need to do. We don't have to do anything more than that. If we have the mic down here. Thanks, Finley. It's coming around. AJ, that's so reassuring and beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Because um, me and many other people are very guilty of not taking action um, because of um, fear of um, doing damage to somebody else or causing ourselves more damage. So, you know, like we were saying at book group the other day, if we just um, act in love, you know, we're not... You know, if, if we're doing it... Any, whatever we're doing, if we're doing it in love, it's got positive results. Yep. Yeah. So a little slogan that wouldn't go astray yeah. is no action is no option. Yeah. Not, not is, 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 is no option. Yep. Yeah. Because if you think about it, if you're on the divine love path, you are saying... You might be or claiming that you're wanting to get closer to God. If you want to get closer to God, then you then you need to grow in love. And if you want to grow in love, then not not acting is just not is not going to cause you to grow. So so no action is no option if you really want to grow in love. Yeah. Well, that's really reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for that. And and in fact, it's better to take an action that causes a mistake or causes you to feel you've made a mistake than it is to take no action. The reason for that is, is that law of attraction will bring you events that demonstrate the mistake of your action. So therefore, you have a chance to grow from the action. If you take no action, then it's very, very hard for any event to be triggered that will then give you feedback as the direction that you've just taken. So. And really what you're saying there is that we are going to experience pain in order to grow, aren't we? We have to experience pain. So... By being inactive, we're trying to circumvent pain mm -hmm. when the best thing is just to launch in, make a mistake. And because once we've lived that pain, we don't want to live that again, so we won't make that mistake again. Exactly. Yeah. So, so if you think about and by the way, I need to qualify that statement I just made that pain will always occur until you're at one with God. So until you're in this condition of perfection, pain has to occur for you to grow. So if you're spending all of your life avoiding pain... There's not much hope of you ever getting to that condition. Can you see that? Yeah. Rachel, my guide, said to me a little while ago, you're going to feel worse before you feel better. You're going to have to be prepared for that. Yeah. 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 That is very true. Okay. So that's the first thing that we'd like to mention to you because I feel that oftentimes there's this belief that we have when we hear a talk like we heard yesterday that, that we've got to be perfect in the way that we do everything now. 
right? And that's what causes as many of us to not act at all. Because we feel like, oh, if I can't be perfect, there's no point in acting. We become so afraid right, that we don't even finish up acting at all. But what I'm, what I'm basically saying is that, yes, no, act, no action is no option. You, you do need to progress. But you don't need to actually take a loving action that's, like, huge. You just need to take one that's bigger than where you're currently at. And then your soul will grow. That's all we need to do to grow. So if you think it's like climbing some stairs, they are, now if I had to get up onto the platform there without climbing the stairs, there's a lot more effort, right? I'd have to climb up and get the leg over and get up on the platform rather than just climbing up the stairs one by one by one. And if you can think of it like that with your soul, every action you take that's a little action that's further developed in love than where you currently are at, you're like basically taking one step right? up. Every time you take any little action that's less than where your soul is and you can feel, oh, you know, I did the wrong thing there. You know, whenever you have feel that feeling, that's indicated you've just taken a step down. So, you know, are we going down? You know, or are we going up with, with our day-to-day activity? And in the course of every day, we have so many choices and therefore so many potential ways our soul could go. And you, you think if, if you, in the course of a day, you go like this, you go up, 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 and then something happens and then you go down, 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 and then something else happens and you go up and then something else happens and you go down, and then something else happens, you go up, and then something else happens, you go down. And you can see, as I've described, there's all this effort in this process as well, isn't there? There's all this effort of going up and down, up and down. When, when, and, and yet the net result is zero. You may as well stay home in bed that day. Can you see that? Because nothing's actually changed. It's far better off if you can choose in the course of a day to go up, up, up. And even if you only do three of those in a day and you end, the, you end the day like that, you're far better off than taking those negative actions based on rage and fear and anger. Can you see that? And sometimes they're based on other emotions, shame, jealousy, envy, and a lot of other negative emotions that cause all of those kind of things. Jen? Um. As a child, I feel like I was trained to care about the other members of my family. Care about, sorry? To, to care for or care about their emotions and the way that they are. Yep, yep. Can I, can I say, you weren't trained, tra- trained to care. You were trained to make their emotions go away, which is a di- and there's a big difference between those two states. See, see, there's no harm in caring. This was the question. There's a huge harm in caretaking and making their emotions go away. Yeah, so my question was about feeling that training, which you've just clarified. Yeah. Um, um, That's led me to realise I live under a lot of obligation. I feel obligated to people around me. Can I suggest it's actually the opposite of that again, Jet? You okay. feel the obligation and then you feel a feeling inside of you of wanting to resist it 
And so you actually live in oh, rebellion. That's, that's the rebellion. Yes. Oh, the penny drops. Does that make sense? So for most of us, when, when we've been forced into caretaking in our childhood, we are now in rebellion because we don't want to feel the grief of how overwhelmed we felt with this role that we had to take on. And so what we do is we go into a rebellion. And then whenever we have the option to become more loving in our day-to-day life, we automatically feel a rebellion. We automatically feel, I don't want to do that. It's just caretaking for somebody again. Instead of feeling no, we we could actually give them the gift of our love. Exactly. That's what led to the question because um, I aspire to be a lot better than what I am. I suppose that's a silly thing to say, but because yeah. everybody does. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't agree that everybody does, but go on. <laughs> oh, goodness. Because <laughs> there are people on the earth who aspire to be worse than they currently are. That's how they become worse. And so um, I find with interactions with people, I, f- I freeze up. Yep. And there's a whole part of me, big part of me now, that feels the caring towards them, listening and all of that. But there's still this other part of me that shuts me down and I go into rebellion and I've never understood it until just right now. Oh, so thank good. you again. That's a pleasure. So for many of us, this is why we avoid positive actions because many times we have yet to grieve the negative that occurred in our life. And when you don't grieve the negative that occurred in your life, you then feel angry about having to take a positive action. In a situation. But in that case, isn't the best thing what we're learning today is to take the positive positive action action. because that's really the true way we're going to trigger that grief. Exactly. Taking the positive action is always going to help us. So the real question was, maybe you've just answered it actually, was how, how, what's the positive step then? Um, because I find this law of attraction still... Well, in your example that you gave, the positive step would be, okay, I know that I'm resisting hearing the person and there's only two possible reasons. One is that they are projecting at me that I have to listen to them and I'm just sitting there listening to them because I feel like I have to, so that's one. And the second one is that I um, feel a feeling that I want to listen to them. And so I'm sitting there because I want to listen to them. I'm giving them a gift of my hearing, if you like, They're giving them a gift of me being involved. Now, now, if it's the second, you wouldn't have any negative emotions. Now, the interesting thing here is that this is what happens to me in the sleep state. I don't have any negative feelings from listening to spirits in the sleep state who come and tell me stories. But in interactions with people in face-to-face, I'm still having this opposition of jumping back. Now now what you're doing is a bit unloving, Jen, because now what you're asking me to do is to give you personal assistance on a personal issue... Oh, I'm sorry. ..right, that involves now 100 other people's time. Can you see the difference? So the original question I'm happy to answer, you need to... We need to stop with that... with that question. Yeah, because now, now we're engaging a process that's only going to benefit you. Do, do you see? Yeah. And I want to benefit everyone in this discussion. Yeah. So second point. Okay. Have we covered that? No, we haven't. Yeah. This oh, one, yes. no, that, you haven't. A, no. So everyone understands that first point about free will is that we can use our free will just a slightly better condition of love in our soul and... 
all of a sudden we will grow. However, babe, just to clarify that, we have to be humble in that process, don't we? To our pain, yeah. To our pain. Otherwise, yeah. it's not going to work. No, no. We can't force ourselves yeah. to... If, we, if we're humble to our pain, the pain will just automatically ooze out of us. <laughs> and I use the term ooze because sometimes it doesn't pour out of us. It just sort of oozes over a period of days or weeks <laughs> out of us, right? Yeah. But, uh, but that's often what it will occur. Otherwise, we can take the step and end up being violent. Exactly. If we take the step and we don't feel the pain, then our anger will be triggered. And then we're in a potentially dangerous situation of going downhill again. Can you see that? Yeah, I was relating that to my own example when I met you. Mm -hmm. I felt like I wasn't taking a step. I was like trying to hurdle the stage (laughs) in terms of I could see what was going to be loving and what was truthful, but there was all this feeling in me. Mm -hmm. Um, But because I wasn't humble to it, I, I actually kind got height and resistance, and higher resistance, higher resistance. Meanwhile, eventually. trying to live what I could see was loving and truthful, yeah. but it didn't work. Not working. Yeah. No. And it won't yeah. work like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, okay, so point number two um, is... It's about if a person is only harming their own will... If a person is only... Affecting, I say. This was an E, babe. Is it affecting, affecting, mm-hmm. affecting? Isn't it A? Yeah. E's affecting the verb, isn't it? Their own life. Isn't it a verb when you start it with an E? I don't, it doesn't worry me. It's just all semantics. <laughs> if a person is only affecting their own life, then. Controlling their will is a very dangerous. To our own soul. Um Let's say there's a person who is not spirit-influenced at all. They have complete control of their own faculties. You have already discussed with them that if they commit suicide, they would, uh, you know, they, there would be certain negative consequences based on the different laws of God. And they still want to go ahead to commit suicide. Would you stop them? See, the general answer that most of the medical profession today would give you is yes, you would definitely try to stop them. If, even if it meant drugging them to the eyeballs and, and keeping them under control, right? Because they view somebody taking their own life as a, as a major issue, obviously. Which it is a major issue, so I'm not saying it isn't. But it's not a major issue for anybody but the person themselves. Ask questions rather than look at me like that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Should we come down to Gary? Everyone looks at me like, (laughs) and nobody says anything. It's like, (laughs) is that like uh, euthanasia? 
Well, euthanasia is a little different in that if a person wants to die and then you assisted them... Isn't there a thing that, you know, like, they could just take some tablet, their whole bottle of sleeping pills... They could. ...inside their bed? That that is up to them, though. And they told you that they're going to do that that night? Yes, they can tell you they're going to do it, and, and you wouldn't prevent them from doing it. So not even take their bottle of sleeping pills away from them? Or would you just leave them there and say, well... You want to do it, you can. Well, if they bought the bottle of sleeping pills, I certainly wouldn't be able to take them away. If I bought them, they're mine, and I can certainly take them away. So what, it depends who bought them. What if you bought them for them with their money or whatever? I you're looking have, after them. I wouldn't have bought them. I don't buy sleeping pills for anybody under any right. circumstances. <laughs> and I'm yeah. certainly... Do you understand? So, yeah. So can you see, we can go through these scenarios... And in the end, there's an answer for everything if you're in a loving space. It's quite rapid answers, actually, if we come down and then... And there was... So I'm just reading what you you had written up there, over there. um, It may be in harmony to limit free will of others um, if it's true that the emotional love is present. So if you stick by those rules... And And you notice I use the word may. So if you apply that to the situation... Yes, uh, no, I'm saying that this is a proviso with this in the sense that if, there is a, if the person is only affecting their own will and there's no other extenuating circumstances then we've got to at some point allow them to do what they will to do. Yeah. It's like, can I give you another example? Let's say, let's say your son who's 20 years of age and for some of you, you're old enough to have a son that age. And your son decides, and you love him a lot, you know, but he decides that he wants to do hang gliding, which is a potentially dangerous sport. And, and he decides that for his very first hang gliding, he's decided he's just going to jump off a cliff and see how he goes. Right? Probably not that advisable, but... So there's now a lot of fear in the parent, Yes about what's going to happen to their son. But the son wants to do it. He wants to do it. It's very similar to sort of taking the first step out of an aeroplane with a parachute, you know. You don't know whether the thing's going to open or not and potentially you don't know what's happening in terms of the packing of the, of the chute and so forth. So, so the son might want to take that dangerous action. Now, he's not affecting anybody else. Now, a lot of people would argue, yes, he's affecting me, I'm the parent, and I'd cry a lot if he dies, you know, but that's not true. Like, he's not affecting you at all. The only time he's going to affect you is if he has an accident and doesn't die. Then he will affect you. So I'd definitely talk to him about that. <laughs> Does that make sense? That if, if he's injured and then expecting me to look after him for the rest of his life, then that's not a very loving choice. So I'd certainly speak about that. But let's talk about just the situation of him deciding to do it. He's deciding to do it. He's only affecting his own life at that particular moment to a a degree, shall we say. So so we'd have to be very careful about what steps we took to limit his will, wouldn't we, under those circumstances? So if we had the emotion of love present within us, Mm -hmm. we wanted to give the gift of our love... Um, we wanted situation. to help him grow in that situation or in... Um, so in that situation, what, I'd explain to my son. We do. 
why do you want to do something that's life-threatening, potentially life-threatening and potentially could injure you? So there's obviously emotion that causes you to decide to do things that are dangerous. So I'd talk to my son about that. Then I would look in myself as to why my son also has such a strong desire to do a dangerous thing. Like there's got to be something inside of me that's caused suppression of his life in some way that would have caused him to come up with such an idea that he wants to go ahead and do something that's quite dangerous without planning it first and doing things first to make it as safe as possible. So, so I'd have to ask myself that question as well. But in the end, it is his choice. And in the end, I don't have to look after him for the rest of his life if he has an accident either. Do I? And I could say that to him up front. I am not going to look after you for the rest of your life if you have an accident. However, you can go ahead and do what you like. We could actually say that. And be completely in harmony with love. Yes? But we're not trying to... As soon as there's fear in me saying all of these things, what was fear from yesterday? An act of violence. Now I am totally... I need to shut my mouth and not say anything at all and feel my fear instead, don't I? First, under those circumstances. You see, but if there's only love for him, then we would make statements. But if there's fear, now I am way out of line as a parent then. Now, if, if there's fear in me for the person who is going to commit suicide, then, then anything I say to him is an act of violence. Can you see that? But if there's not fear in me, I'm not afraid of him dying and I'm not afraid of him passing and I don't have any personal investment in him staying alive with me or passing and he wants to, to commit the act, I'm not going to help him commit the act. I'm going to try to dissuade him in the sense of I'm not going to be angry with him or afraid of the potential results. But out of love for him, I'd want to try to dissuade him from taking such an action knowing that it's going to degrade his condition. And I would say it's going to degrade your condition. And, and by the way, I've had hundreds of these discussions with people in this life who have wanted to commit suicide. And almost every single one of them has not committed suicide after having a discussion with them about what's going to happen after they pass. Does that make sense? So, so oftentimes you can change the person's will by giving them some extra truth about what will happen. But let's say you couldn't. Would you then sit with the person 24 by 7, controlling their every move to prevent them from suiciding? You couldn't. You couldn't. Would you put them in a padded cell, controlling them from suiciding? You couldn't. Now, let's add another scenario to it. Let's say the person, the person on earth, your friend or whatever, is surrounded by spirits who often talk to them and they, the person often hears these words and on earth this is often called schizophrenia, right? Which I don't agree. It's called, uh, to me it's called spirit attachments and, uh, and, and influence. But what happens is these spirits are telling this person you should commit suicide, you should die, you should cut yourself, you should do this, you should do that. They're telling them they're wanting to make the person commit suicide and you know the person is not of a sound mind to make the, uh, their own decision with this influence. What would you do then? Can you, can you see your actions then would be very different? 
if you acted out of harmony with love. Because the first thing you would want to do is remove the person from this influence and then let them make up their own mind. And if they're being influenced by all these other people, you would like to remove them from that influence before they go ahead and make the decision. So, for example, if there was a cult, right, <laughs> that they all were going to decide to suicide on a certain day, right, what you've got then is a person who's now being heavily influenced by a group of people who are on earth. Does that make sense? And these people are all going to die on a certain day. They're all going to take some Kool-Aid and die on a certain day. Right? Now, that per th this person here, this is your friend or you know, someone you actually know, what would you do? Well, isn't it exactly the same as the previous example I just gave where they were influenced by spirits? You would firstly need to remove them from that influence if you could do so without any violence. You'd need to remove them from that influence and then let them make up their own choice if they want to die on that day. Does that make sense? However, However, we wouldn't do it from a space of fear, would we? We wouldn't do it because we're afraid of them losing their life. We wouldn't do it because we're afraid of seeing them on television. We wouldn't do it for any other reason than we just love them. Does that make sense? We wouldn't do it because we might miss them when they're gone. We wouldn't do it for that reason either because they're all selfish reasons motivated by fear. So we couldn't do it under those circumstances. Natalie? I'm just thinking about the person who's schizophrenic yep. or spirit influenced. Which is very similar to this really in a way, isn't it? Yeah. A person influenced by a cult. So it's easy to physically remove a person who's surrounded by physical people. But then how do you remove a person from a spirit influence? Ah, there's a lot of very easy ways. Very easy ways, actually. Trevor, actually, I heard, had an easy, easy way that happened the other day. You had an ele electrical pulsing foot bath, a mass foot massage, and, and, and any small electrical impulses immediately expel any spirits around you. Can Is I that just not tell what a little happens? story about that? Sure. Uh, well, not too long a story. No, no. Just, just, <laughs> just I, a I was triggered by Ange basically about money, and I got a big issue about money and lack. Yeah. yeah. And I just went into a rage and did the projection. Well, you've got this problem, you know. So you're in a rage with Ange, giving yeah. her hell for her, the issue, yeah. yeah. So I went off up the bush, cutting wood all day, and just ignored it, and probably did a lot of unloving things up there. And yeah. When I come home, I decided I'm not going to talk. I'm not yeah. going to say another word because so I'm in. That's it. I've had enough of this I'm woman. In, no, I'm in up to my neck now. I've done that much damage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I went over and put my feet on this this electric pulsing thing. Electric pulsing foot massage. And within a, within a half a minute, I was just bawling my guts out. And <laughs> yeah. All the, all the all the repentance and all the issues around the stuff. Yeah. But before that, I suppose spirit influence. I just. I just was just like stony walled against it. So exactly, I thought. Well, in that case, it's loving to actually um, put the brakes on the spirit so that I can exactly. Feel my own so stuff. what happened was when you put your foot in the foot bath in the foot massager, and yeah. um, there were small electrical impulses going through your body. Spirits cannot handle small electrical impulses in their body at all, so they instantly exit the person, and uh, and now. You're free to make your own choice. Yeah, well, it, was, it was just, it was almost instant. I'd been in like for eight hours. I'd just been in this real foul mood and just yep. thought, you know, that's the end of it. I'm going. I'm, 
you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But, but, you know, just I took the action, moved the spirits off, and it was instant. So yeah. it just shows me how much control I give them all the time. Exactly. So what you would need to address in the longer term is why you give these spirits control. So that is still an issue. Yeah, I don't want to feel my emotions around lack or, or exactly. money. Yeah. So it's about or the loss. pain about yeah. lack. Yes, right. exactly. So, so, but can you see it was quite easy to remove the spirit influence if you know how? Okay. There are lots of different things that are quite simple little procedures we can follow in the course of a day which would actually remove the spirit influence and then we'd, then we'd know whether this rage we're feeling is our own or somebody else's and we can then take steps. So if you imagine if you were surrounded by a group of spirits who were just saying, kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself, you know, all the day, and they're coming up with ways to kill yourself and all that kind of stuff, you'd want to remove those spirits first rather than allowing this person to kill themselves under their influence. Does that make sense? So you give them a foot massage with an electric pulse or whatever and the spirits have gone and, and then you can start to interact with the individual about the logic about their choice and decision and so forth. Ange, you want to say? Yeah, the only question I had was, was it loving to the spirits? Yes. If I have it a is. feeling of love rather than anger towards the spirits, Cause given the, I'm restricting yeah. their will by using a technique that is temporary in nature, that, that is restricting their will, and if I have a feeling of love doing it, not rage or anything like that, then it's definitely in harmony with the principles we learnt yesterday. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I've actually used it a couple of times with people that I've massaged as well. Yep. Before the massage, and I find they process a lot easier. Yes. And more real. Yes. Mm. Instead of having related spirit influences. But I was worried that I was causing myself damage. No, because what you're doing is you're temporarily restricting the influence of some spirits who are taking a step to damage a person, and you're temporarily controlling them using your will out of love, like you're not angry with them or upset with them, you're using it out of har- in harmony with love, so you're restricting their will, and, and now you've got given this person the ability to feel themselves for a period of time. Obviously it's not a permanent solution because this person has had these spirits attached often for many years and they will come back afterwards probably, but, but at least you've given them some temporary lease so they can see what they're really like yeah, exactly. by themselves, yeah. Yeah, we actually had that exact thing happen with a lady the other day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so it's actually a very loving thing that you can do for the spirits and the person if you have a feeling of love. Yeah. If you had a feeling of rage, I'm going to get rid of these spirits, and put them on the thing, stick your feet in there, <laughs> and sure, they'll go, but now you're restricting the will of the spirits in a very unloving manner and, and you've just degraded your condition. <laughs> Um, if we can down to Renee, thanks. Just wondering, in, in the case of a person that has completely surrendered their will and is in that fetal position twenty four seven, relying on external care continuously. Um, can I just stop you for a moment? You're you're almost a person who has completely surrendered their will to to uh, spirits but you're not in a fetal position 24 by 7 now can I illustrate what happens when we surrender our will to spirits most of the time spirits want us to do things to get their addictions met does that make sense so it's highly unlikely that a person just staying in one place is, is, is always overcloaked by spirits I'm not saying they can't be in that place what I'm saying is for most people who are overcloaked 
the spirits are actually influencing their day-to-day life and decisions quite markedly because the spirits want things through the body of the person. Does that make sense? And that's what's happening for yourself in, in your life and it's also what's happening for many of the spirits. So the spirits around you, so it'd be nice one day for you to have some temporary relief from them, just if, even if, if even it was just a one-hour foot massage, if I can say that, <laughs> right? And, and you get some relief, so there's Renee, she has some relief and she can feel herself for the first time. And that's a lovely gift that you can give to Renee. So, you know, this is where if you understand what's going on as a, health, as a therapist or a health professional, you can help people markedly in very short periods of time by educating them about what's really happening in their lives. So now, now you then are free to feel your own emotions for a short period of time and the person who's with you could talk to you about what, why do you want these people with you? What do they give you? What, you know, what it is it that causes you to want them there? Because when they're there, you're a different person. So, so many people you meet on a day-to-day basis are very, very different to their normal personality. And, and the reason why is because there's often this heavy spirit influence. And it, and it is actually in harmony with love to restrict these spirits for at least a short period of time just to allow the person to see what they're like without them and what they're like with them. So they've got some idea. And also for the spirits to restrict them. As, and then you can talk to the spirits. So you, you could even have, a, if you were a therapist working with a medium, you could have the therapist working with the person who's having the foot massage with the, <laughs> with the thing. And then you could have a medium speaking to the spirits about why they are overcloaking that person. Can you imagine the benefit of that? Like you have a double benefit to that. The spirits are getting some benefit out of the interaction now and the person is getting some benefit. You're loving both parties now. Yeah? It's pretty good, huh? Yeah. And you know the book um, Carl, Dr. Carl Wickland? That's basically what he was doing. A very loving. So can you imagine how he arrived in the spirit world? He arrived in a very good condition in the spirit world because both he and his wife were involved in all of these very loving transactions with spirits, trying to help the spirit and help the person. And now, of course, their belief systems were a bit off, and sometimes they were a bit attacking and judgmental, and there was some negativity there, but in the whole, there was a lot of love given to both the spirits and the individuals influenced by those spirits. Yeah. Thanks, Karen. And I had always wondered whether he was using ECT... Um, and it makes me think, like, ECT is not a very good thing to do to a person. No, I'm not suggesting ECT because ECT is like very high voltages and oftentimes that, are, that the person themselves is, is, is quite painful to the individual themselves. That's not what I'm suggesting. It's very low voltages. You can actually put it on there and adjust the voltage. Yeah, you can and, turn it right, right and, down. And it can be just like it's, it's a faint tingling sort of a sensation. Isn't it? That's yeah, what it feels it's, like? It's very, very low. You can turn it right down to you can... It goes from 1 to 90. Yeah. Trev uses... And we use it on about 30. Yeah. But... Um, and even on 90, you can't hurt yourself. I, I haven't tried it on 90. <laughs> oh, 30 is enough. You yeah. get a vibration. But yeah. um, 
down onto even 10, you can just feel a tingling. Yep. So you can yeah. just adjust it right down. Yeah. So something like that would be a perfect tool. And then if you had a medium who loved the spirits and the person who's caring for the person who's, who's just done that for, you could talk to the person about what's going on with their connection with the spirits while at the same time talk to the spirits about what's going on with the person. It would be a very, very loving thing to do. And as you know, in the medical profession, many people are often heavily overcloaked by spirits and, and guided by spirit interactions. And you can imagine how many people you could help using these techniques. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to put it in, but there are actually some medical questions, questions. about Mental Health Act. and quest- uh, Have we covered the things we wanted to yes. cover? We have, haven't we? Yep. 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 So everyone understands that point about not acting against somebody's free will if they're not harming anybody else other than themselves. But you still would like to take loving actions to help themselves, help them not harm themselves, wouldn't you? But you'd have to make sure it's a loving action and not a violent action. That's very important. Just down the front here. um, Just keep your hand up, Lisa. I just wondered how we can be loving to the system as it continues to do those things that you are feeling are so unloving? Like, how can we as people who understand these issues uh, be loving to this system? Well, it's exactly the same way uh, that we've discussed yesterday. By being angry with the system, you are not loving the system. And if you're afraid of the system, you're not loving the system. So, so again, you've got to look at your own emotions that you feel towards the system. So, so the, one, the only way to change a system is to actually act with your free will in harmony with love and truth with any system. And that doesn't mean any act of violence. So we need to stop perpetrating act of, acts of violence f- from ourselves to these systems. That's the way we love them. So, so if, if we look at any system, medical profession, the, the, the political system, the religious system, any other type of system... The only way we can positively assist them is by removing all of our acts of violence from ourselves towards that system. That's number one. That's the most important thing before we even do anything else. And then after that, we can take actions in harmony with our will, in harmony with love and truth, with that system to help the system change. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean diving into the system, but, but it does mean that we want to engage the system in some positive way. Most of us don't feel that way. We get afraid and we get angry and we don't want to even engage the system then. We just want to condemn it and reject it. And you see lots and lots of criticism aimed towards systems that is really just rage aimed towards systems or fear aimed towards systems. And you can't expect the system to change with that level of rage or fear aimed towards it. Okay, Eagle? You mentioned yesterday the concept of divine love uh, police. <laughs> divine love police system, yeah. We'll talk about that today a little if we, if we get to there. And with this conversation about free will, I want to... We'll be having a, a number of sessions on because it does involve all of our life, of course. It, there's a whole aspect that we have not even touched yet and that is the aspect of self-discovery because it's only by utilising your free will in harmony with love that you'll ever discover yourself. And that's a whole seminar on its own, right? So what we're doing in this seminar is we're introducing the basic concepts of free will 
And then we're trying to give you some practical examples where those concepts could be used in practical situations. But understand, there's a whole other series of talks we need to give about how, in fact, our free will is used to grow and actually recognise ourselves and discover ourselves. So there's, a, that, there's another whole aspect to our free will. So there's a lot of different aspects and we'll get to them as we go along. Yep. So perhaps what we'll do now is we'll start engaging some of the questions that were asked yesterday. So um, my question is, do you want to do it in the order that we decided or do you want to deal with some of these mental health issues? I think issues? in the order we decided okay. because it will cover many issues. Yeah. All right. Yep. So, so can I explain the order we've decided? We're going to answer uh, general questions firstly about free will and then I'm going to specifically hone in onto the aspect of parents with children. And I'll explain why when we get to that section as to why I'm honing into that one first. All right? So let's do that. Okay. So the first question, let's go to Alan. Alan. Where is Alan? Alan? You put your hand up. Not here. He's not here today. Has he got his question? You've got his question? I've got his question. Yeah, and he's got his question. All right. We'll read out his question then. Yep. So he can watch it. Yep. If this truth is so beautiful and powerful, why hasn't it been imparted to earth before? Is it our resistance? Uh, the simple answer, Alan, is yes. <laughs> it's totally because of humankind's resistance to understanding free will. The, re- the reason why we're so resistant is all of us want to have our own will without respecting anybody else's. And that is our main problem. We, we want to do what we want without acknowledging that sometimes what we want damages other people. And this is our primary issue. And this is the reason why we don't want to see free will in, in its true expression. So when I was on earth in the first century, I did not discuss this with people, but I did um, present in my own life the truth of this. So it's not accurate to say it's the fir- not the first time that it's been presented. I presented it through the truth of my life, but I didn't discuss the subject you know, step by step as we did yesterday. Does that make sense? Yep. And in fact, these truths are available to all of us if we activate our soul anyway, aren't they? Exactly. You will all discover this truth, not through believing me, but in your relationship with God, you will discover the truths as you release your emotional impediments to understanding free will. You will automatically discover the truth of how to use your free will. And these truths that I've given you a bit of a foregleam of will become reality to you through that process. You won't understand them at this point until you go through that process emotionally. Yep. Okay. okay. If we question. go to Ian for the next question. Where are you, Ian? Where's Ian? If you just put your hand up. Is there an Ian or a... Jan. Could be it, Jan, sorry. Is it Jan? Jan. Jan. Okay, yep. down here, Jan. Yep, it's coming to you. There it is. So can you read out your question? Have you got a copy of it? Oh, okay. Uh, Do you want to read it out? We're happy to give it to you and read it out. Thank you. Thank you, you. I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah. After hearing the deeper teachings yesterday for the first time on free will, is it true that in the end, after taking the teachings and living them and going deeper into the heart, it then becomes God's will, not mine, that the freedom, that's the freedom you speak of. 
Well, um, it's interesting you say that because this is a belief that's very Christian in nature. Like, this is what a lot of Christians would have uh, us believe. However, can I describe to you what actually does happen with regard yes. to free will? Well, firstly, there's the issue of love, right? So once we become at one with God, we are now at one with God in the way God displays love. But we have complete freedom to display our will within the boundary of love based on our own desire and not necessarily God's. So in other words, all God desires for us is to have the complete freedom to express our will in harmony with love. So we finish up doing anything we want to do and in fact, because we now are in harmony with love, there are more things that we can actually do. Yes. We, we do everything we want to do, but, but it's in harmony with love right. in terms of the expression. So when you say, is it God's will? Well, you could be, it's just a semantics in the end, because, because in the end, yes, God's will for us is to do anything we want as long as it's in harmony with love. Right. That's God's yes. will for us. Yes. So, so yes, we are then following God's will. But it's not like we've got somebody talking to us and saying, you need to do this today. Mm. That's not how God works with us. And, in fact, that's how many spirits do it. And, in fact, I notice that many people who have been Christian being overcloaked by similar spirits who basically tell them what to do today. Now, God doesn't do that. They, they say, the Christians on earth often say, oh, God told me to do this today. Right. All right. But, but actually what God does is gives us opportunities through different attractions to express our will in a loving manner and then we are able to make our own choice about that matter and right. that's what free will allows us to do. Thank you. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Yep. It's a good question. Okay. Let's go to Elaine then for another general question. Have you got a copy of yours, Elaine? No, we've got oh. it, so we'll, okay, we'll, well, I'll read, we'll it. read that one out. It's, what is God's definition of free will? I've just given it to you yesterday. <laughs> what is the feeling within me, or how do I know when I'm truly within free will? I'm assuming this means loving action in free will for myself, others, and the environment. Is there a recognisable feeling in the heart-soul that saves degradation in the first instance? Well, we described a lot of the feelings yesterday, but the primary feeling, of course, is love. So whenever you have a feeling of love, and this is where we've got to be very careful because it's actually God's definition of what love is. So at the moment, Elaine, there are times when you think you're being loving, but you're actually feeling guilt or you're feeling some other emotion that you perceive as love. Um, And that is not the same as actually being loving. Does that make sense? Remember yesterday we had the conversation, you and I, about the the Aboriginal viewpoint of using a didgeridoo and and your fear associated that you're afraid of offending somebody, right? So, so you think you were being loving to them by conceding to their viewpoint of the use of a didgeridoo, but actually because there was fear, you're not actually being loving. You'd only be loving if there was no fear. And the fear you had was the fear of offending them. Does that make sense? So, so now we described all of that framework of free will yesterday, and so it's all in the talk yesterday, actually. So all of those things are in the talk yesterday. There are some spirits with you, if I can address this, Elaine, that um, prevent you 
from, from exercising your own will and they actually assist you to exercise their will in many occasions. And this happens to many of us in the audience where, where we have spirits assisting us to exercise their will because we're abdicating our own will because of different fears or different angers that we have within us. So that actually explains to me the end part of what we were discussing. Is like it now clarifies it and I'm feeling it more. Yeah. That when it's with fear and not with love, mm-hmm. then, yeah, it's not free will for anyone. Yeah. And it's also not loving. Like, You're loving, yeah. yeah. So, so if, I'm acting, if I'm actually doing something for somebody because I'm afraid of, of offending them, then I'm not loving them in that moment. I need to be doing something without the fear of offence, giving offence. Right? Thank you. And also for the electrical impulse, I feel a lot of us, I don't like to use the word therapist, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Could be very handy. For us before we do the session, in yes, fact. Yes, yeah. I agree for yourself in particular. Yeah. That would definitely yeah. be beneficial. And yeah. others as well that yeah. I've experienced. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Many uh, therapists are doing therapy because of uh, uh, there's a couple of different th- feelings coming from the therapist. And sometimes the feeling coming from the therapist is more about trying to feel that they are better than the person they're giving therapy to. And so this is an indication that the feeling isn't loving in therapy. So unfortunately, in today's world, there's a lot of so-called loving things that happen that are actually driven by emotions of, that, that are actually holes, with, emotional holes within the individual doing the act. And a lot of times we're drawn to a certain profession not for any other reason than having some kind of addiction met inside of ourselves. And that's why it feels so good for us when we do it. And when we do it for love, it's not always going to be feel good for us because sometimes, you know, you confront in somebody else some truth and they attack you. So, you know, it's not always going to feel good for us, what, particularly if we're not at one with God. It's not always going to feel good for us when we're acting lovingly. Yep. And third? Okay, if we go to Natalie. Nat, have you got yours? Didn't bring yours? have to read yours out too. Okay, I'll read it out. That's okay. <laughs> if my soul is full of error, it's actually two questions. If my soul is full of error, how can I exercise my free will in a loving way? Now, I think we've just explained that in that example of the soul, you know, taking a positive action that's just above itself in yep. love. Yep. And that sort of illustrates yeah, how you can great. actually be in error and yet make a choice that's more loving than where you currently are. And I like the idea that it only has to be a little step. It only has to be a little, <laughs> little step, yeah. And you like that idea because you don't like making big steps, but that's a different discussion. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, and this is related, but the second part of the question is, if free will applies to the soul, then how can my actions be loving when my mind decides my actions? The answer is they can't. So it's quite simple. If your mind is deciding actions then they can't be as loving as if your soul disguised the action. However, can I just point something out to you with regard to that? Remember our previous scale where we're at one and a half on our level of love, right? Right? And we decide, we're driving along the road, example I gave, and there's a person pulled on the side of the road, you know, they need assistance and they're flagging us down or whatever, and we would normally just drive past, right? So at this point... We, we have a choice. Now, your mind is involved in this choice. 
and your soul is involved in this choice. So if your soul has a true desire to grow, you will probably want to make the choice. And that's sometimes a feeling? It's a feeling that causes your mind to go, oh, I think I'll stop this time. Right? Yep. And sometimes it's prompted by some spirits with you who badly want you to grow in love, you know, so they're looking for opportunity after opportunity <laughs> that they can go, we drop a thought into Natalie's mind, this is an op- option, you know, this is an option she can take to grow in love. And so they drop the thought in your mind and you go, oh, okay, I'll, yeah, I can act on that. So on goes the brakes, around you go. And now you are taking a positive step that exceeds your current condition in love. It's spitting everywhere. <laughs> and, and that enables you now to potentially grow. Now, there's going to be some pain in this. So you, you have to just allow whatever pain comes up. Right? Now, for some people, the pain is just smidgen, and it's usually a lot less than what they imagined it would be. You understand? But, uh, but sometimes it can be quite a lot of pain, depending on the circumstance. But at least we've taken the action that's more positive and in harmony with love, and now we're, up, we're at that point. So what we've done is we've now given the ability for our soul just to grow a little bit through this process. Yeah? Yep. And now that's how your mind can assist you. In a positive way. In a positive direction. And you take an action and now your soul is benefiting from the result of that action. So our mind can certainly assist us in taking actions that will eventually grow the love of our soul. But we cannot expect to take these actions one after the other after the other with our mind all the time and expect our soul to grow without there being some release of a painful emotion that would normally cause us not to take such action. And eventually we get there. So, so this is how people on the natural love path progress. They use their mind to make a more loving choice, but they don't release the emotion that causes them to be there. But then they use their mind to make another loving choice and another loving choice and another... And eventually their soul does deal with some emotion. So it does eventually catch up emotionally. But they're not focused on dealing with the emotion. They're focused on making the loving choice with their mind. And I'm saying you need both. You need to make the loving choice with your mind and feel the emotion so that your emotional condition gets to where your mind drew it to if you like. Yep. Yep. Thanks. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So okay. I, I just have a question, <laughs> if that's all right. Uh, it's no, very on topic allowed, and I think you? it's... <laughs> <laughs> um, I find now that I have a lot of pain if I don't take a loving action. Like, for example, if I avoid something that I know is out of harmony with love, I know I'm, there's a fear about taking that action... But I just find I'm in so much pain. Yeah, uh, if you don't. If I don't. So, so we need to describe then, what's happening there. Okay. So let's describe what's happening. The reason why we feel pain after a while, so after, when we first begin the process of coming towards God, we, we're not very conscious or sensitive to our own emotional condition, our own state. Wouldn't you agree? No, we're not really sensitive at all, right? So you could say that we are basically, let's, let's use the term insensitive. Insensitive, I think it's this So, so you, you, you're basically insensitive to your own emotion, you're pretty insensitive to people around you, except where your addictions are in play, and then you're very sensitive, but generally we're quite insensitive to anything else. So what happens after a while is we start dealing with some underlying emotions that cause insensitivity. 
And all of these emotions that generate insensitivity are usually based on our angers. You know, what, what makes us angry right, is what causes us to be insensitive. Does everyone get, get so far? So what causes us to be insensitive is, what, is the same things that, that it's anger that creates all of our insensitivities. When we release our anger and we no longer use our anger as an excuse, so, so we no longer say to ourselves, there is a justifiable anger. So we no longer justify anger inside of ourselves because we've released enough of it to know that it's not the actual stuff that we need to be focusing on. And we no longer actually have this self-justified righteous feeling every time something happens to us where we justify our own rage or our own anger. Once you get to that point, you are now much more sensitive. Do you understand? So the insensitivity has now been transformed because you've released a lot of the anger that creates insensitivity. So now you are sensitive. You've become sensitive. Now that you're sensitive, you are able to feel when an action or potential action is going to be damaging. Does that make sense? Because you are now sensitive to the feeling. And it's only our desensitization to feeling that causes us to not know when something is potentially loving or unloving. Is that something special? Yeah. So what's does. happened for Mary is that she's released quite a lot of anger and rage over a period of, what, three and a half years probably, we could say. And as a result of that, you are now much more sensitive. And uh, it just gets worse. <laughs> And so I feel like it's, it's like life is pain until I take the action in harmony with love. And sometimes that triggers the pain that you were talking about before. But it's a different kind but, of pain you feel now, isn't it? Yeah, there's this horrible pain of feeling like I'm out of harmony with love here, I'm out of harmony with love here. There's the pain of doing the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it actually it comes down to what's that. the lesser of the two pains. Actually, the lesser pain is to say the truth to the person or and, to and take the action. Yeah. yeah. So once you get into this sensitive state, what you start realising is that the greater pain is when you don't act lovingly and the lesser pain is your own pain that you need to release, which was the cause of you not acting lovingly. So you choose your pain instead of choosing to create pain. Does that make sense? So that's and the main reason this why. is why I think, you know, there's the old joke that the path should come with a warning. Because you can't stop then. No. You, you're in this thing where you're like, it's pain if I don't, I've got to do the thing. Oh my God, there's more pain. Oh my gosh. Now you know, it's just yeah. this open, 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 open thing. Yeah. And yeah, I can see it's beautiful, but sometimes I feel so overwhelmed by that process. Yeah. It never stops. Yeah. So the real goal is to get over our insensitivity by actually feeling our way through our rage. And Does that make sense? And once you feel your way through your rage, you will become automatically sensitive and you won't be able to do something that's out of harmony with love then. Yeah. And, and in fact, even if it's painful acting in harmony with love, you'll still choose that because the pain of our acting out of harmony with love is too great for you to bear. Yeah. yeah, I feel it's, for me, it's been not just releasing the anger, but false beliefs. Hey? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Which probably leads to the next question from Natalie, yep. which is what prevents the laws of love from entering our hearts? So uh, what prevents the laws of love from entering our hearts are always the same things. So it, it has to do with the level of our resistance. Love will always enter our heart once we are no longer blocking it. And 
all of the blocking types of emotions are based around two primary feelings. And what are they? Anger or fear. So, so after you work your way through your anger, you feel your way through your anger, and you start allowing to feel yourself to feel your fears, now there is no resistance to love entering you. So you can still be in a state of fear, but you allow yourself to feel it. Now there is no resistance to love entering you. Now you can grow through any action. And if you're not addicted to avoiding your own pain, you'll find it a relatively seamless process. And like Mary said, she's in that, you, f- you feel in that quandary of like, that, that feeling of, I can't do the bad thing because that feels worse than doing the th- good thing, but the good thing feels pretty bad too because I've got it's all scary. this emotion about it and, you, and scary and painful. But you still go ahead with the good thing because the bad thing is worse in terms of the pain that it creates inside of you. Mm. So where are you saying the love entering us, that's how the laws enter us, is through the love entering us? Exactly. Right. So as the love enters us, now we automatically understand the law. So for, for many of us, we will not actually emotionally understand these laws that I've presented until a certain amount of love has entered us. And then we go, ah, no, I not only understand it here now, but I can automatically do this now. Like I don't have to think about it anymore. I automatically address someone. So, so when someone is like in that state or a different state that we've described, we automatically know exactly the right thing to do in that situation. And that's because we've, so much love has entered us that, that, that now our heart has changed so much that we can automatically recognise what the most loving thing to do is in any situation. And this is why I said yesterday, we've got to be very careful with what we presented yesterday because we could intellectually try to understand all of that. And many of us do intellectually understand when I present it. But in our day-to-day lives, we can't act it yet because there's all this resistance still inside of us to acting it. And, and that has to come out of us before we'll truly grasp the principles. Yeah. Okay. okay. So now we're going to move on to parenting questions. All right. Awesome. I like parenting and questions. <laughs> I have a few sort of um, questions to pose mm-hmm. before we launch into the audience questions. Mm-hmm. So basically, you've presented to us a lot in the past a lot of truths about how children reflect our emotions and that the most loving thing to do is to own our own emotions before. That's how to parent, mm-hmm. yeah? So yesterday you talked about restricting the free will of a child through parenting. Yep. So I guess what I'm asking is, are we marrying these two concepts? Yes, we have to. We have yep. to marry these two concepts. So, so if I'm a parent, the things that I would be looking at is I would look at the parent, parenting discussions that we did a couple of years ago I would look at all of those things again. And I noticed that many of you parents have actually avoided those discussions quite strongly. And, I, and in fact, that's why in that discussion there was very few parents around during the discussion. Because a lot of times we are very confronted as parents about what's the right way to parent. And can I say as well, there's an excellent PDF document attached to, to that, that discussion. discussion. Because in that discussion we didn't get to cover a lot of the content no, no, that we planned. That we would have liked yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. So. So what I would do then is I'd marry that with this free will discussion. 
Because and 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 put all of the things together because they actually fit together, don't they? they do. It's not that they contradict each yeah. other at so, all. So, so I've given you the example of my son Tristan, who's now twenty-eight years old. But when he was a little tyke, he he well, he was about I think he was about one or not much older than that, and he was sticking his not the knife that he had hold of into the electric power socket all the time. So I'd come along, and all of a sudden he's there. Now. As a parent, you, you come along and you see that happening. What is your first response? Fear, Fear which was mine. Right. That's an act of violence. Is it not? Yes. Okay, so that's an act of violence. Which you followed with? Which I followed with. What did I do? I put him away, give him a tap. Right. Initial tap, not very big. I let him go. What does he do? Goes back, puts the thing in the socket. Right. What's happening now? He seems to be, from my opinion, this is my damaged condition, I'm thinking he's rebelling. I've got to quash this rebellion. How many of your parents have <laughs> felt that? How many of you? I've, I've got to, yeah, can you feel the feeling in it like, I've got to quash this rebellion? <laughs> this is like... This is like, you know, you can, you can imagine a, a political ruler going, I've got to crush this rebellion, you know. Like, and, and so what's the next act is an act of anger, which is triggered, which is another act of violence. And your physical act as well is an act of violence. And then I take a physical act of giving a smack. So the actual action of punishment, like in terms of physical Let's call it uh, physical violence, actually, which is really what it is. And that was another act of violence. Yeah, my soul, poor old soul, didn't go well that day. Right. Okay. So, now where are we at? Give him up, another smack, because it'll quash the rebellion. <laughs> so give him a smack. And I let him go and back into the socket. So he's feeling rebellion now, isn't he? He's definitely feeling a rebellion. And, and I'm, now in a, I'm now in an act of uh, who's the most powerful person here, aren't I? So now, now my sense of power is being confronted. So I want power now. I'm trying to get power. Another act of violence. <laughs> Like I said, my soul didn't do well that day. Right? And then a back, and then we cycled between there and there and there and there and there and there until I won. Which, which when you think about it, is almost what nations do with each other, aren't they? Back and back and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Who's most powerful? The one with the most guns. They win. Or the most people to feed as fodder to the guns. They win. Now that's a very damaging process for my own soul. Obviously also a very damaging process for my son Tristan. And in fact my son Tristan is right now still dealing with some of these emotions caused by this one event. It was the only time I ever did it, but it was a, it was a significant event. So, big issue, hey? So um, what's the what, most... What you've said in the past is that you would have been better to let him put the um, knife in the socket and die rather than do what you did. Yes, and I, I agree with that statement completely. 
I would have been better off letting him put the knife in the socket and die than take this action. And why is that? Because I damaged my own soul and his through taking these actions. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So he obviously now has lots of, you know, he's had to deal with lots of pain as a result of these actions. So he would have been better off dying without that emotional pain than he would be living with all of that emotional pain. It would have been better off. But there is a third option which I have not discussed with you. Let's explore the third option. So, so you're going, what? What? Should let him die? Should let him die? No, no. And I'm saying, no, no. There is a third option that we need to discuss. And it's the third option that we need to take, really, which is the loving option. So what is the third option? It's a situation that requires immediate response, is it not? Because there is an immediate life-threatening issue, so it requires immediate response. So, so we need to know how to respond to these immediate situations that require immediate response. But we need to do so such a thing without perpetrating a large number of acts of violence. Can you see that? So what would we do? So, Dennis, you wanted to say? Um, if we, for Dennis, Dennis, it's just across there, do I think? Uh, limit his free will. How would you do it? Um, from a place of love to hold him or take so, the knife away? Or? So it's a physical thing firstly, so I have to hold him. Yeah. The problem with taking the knife away is that he's probably going to pick up some other knife at some point in the future yeah. and, uh, and I'm not around and probably stick it in the same socket. Yeah. So, so holding him will actually get him into the emotions as well as myself. Exactly. So holding him, firstly, would be one thing, wouldn't it? This will help me deal with my own emotions as well about the issue. So I'm holding him. Now, the first thing I need to do is address my emotion while I'm holding him. So the first thing I need to do is address my fear, because my fear is causing some of his response. Do you understand? So the first thing I need to do is feel my fears about what he just did. Now, that might take a little while, right? But obviously I was afraid of him dying and I have to look at why I'm afraid of my son dying. Because in the end, death is no such thing. There's no such thing as death. It's just an imaginary state that most of us on earth believe is possible that isn't possible. Right? That's the reality of death. And I keep saying this to you as an audience, but most of you are still terribly afraid of death. And you're even more afraid of a violent one. You're more afraid of violence than you are of death, even, for many of us. We'd rather die without violence than we would die with violence. Right? So the majority of us are terribly afraid of violence and a little less afraid of death, but not much. Right? So let's continue. So, yes, you're right. You want to add, babe? Um, well, if... Um, sorry, it just went out of my head. It's all right. Go ahead. So let's look at uh, my, my emotions through this process. Oh, yeah, sorry, my question. Yep. I have, I'm the guardian of this child who yep. has, is just coming to understand themselves as an individual with free will with a gift from God of life. Yep. So, and a gift of, from me of a knife. Yes. Because a knife is a gift. We use a knife for doing a lot of things that are very helpful for our life, yes? Uh, you find that's the case? Do you have a knife at home? 
Okay, so you definitely... (laughs) So you're saying, um, you're talking about your fear of his death, which I can see is an act of violence, but there is an alternate place you could be, isn't it, which is a love for him and a loving desire for him to understand this gift of life that he Imagine for a moment that I came to this situation with the thought, wow, this is a great way to teach my son, who's only just one year old, discovering the use of his will. Now, this is a fantastic opportunity. This is an opportunity to teach my son in a loving manner the laws of God about free will. And, and this is fantastic. I can, I can take some action here which will actually help my son learn about the principle of free will. But of course, I need to have dealt with some of my fear to do this, to have that attitude. So I hold my son and restrict him. He's still got the knife in his hand. What is this teaching him so far? What it would teach you. What would it teach you so far? Come on, someone with a mic. We need a mic. So what's the answer, Barb, do you feel? What would it teach you? Um, That my free will is restricted. Your free will is being restricted. Now, my son is not yet verbal, so he's not yet able to understand my words. So how do I teach a truth when he can't understand words? So what do I do then? Love him. I can love him, but that's a very basic answer. That's a, like almost a rote one, shall we call it that? Come on, let's be more specific. And? And? Why can't he understand words? Well, because he's too young. He hasn't got vocabulary and he hasn't got language. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anne thinks she, taught babies to read, so she feels... Well, no, but that's the case. Where, you know, there is an age when they're not intellectually developed enough to even understand language or words. So. I would say more complex reasoning yes. things. So like he can't if understand. You said, if you stick the knife in the... Without any die. actions, if you said to him, if you stick the knife in the PowerPoint, you're going to die. And, and he doesn't understand, understand death. He doesn't yeah. understand, like he doesn't understand death. He doesn't yeah. understand electricity. He doesn't understand much pain. He doesn't understand what an electric shock feels like. So there's quite a lot he doesn't understand. And I can use all those words, that, but they all mean nothing. <laughs> and she's cross about that. We can come back to that. Chris, um, could you do like a acting, like pretend to do it yourself and pretend to die? You can. Yes. This is a great way to teach a child who's not, particularly a child that's not verbal, but also a child that is verbal. Great way to teach a child. Yeah? So you can have one of the parents holding the child, still with his knife in his hand, because we don't, we don't want to make him afraid of the knife, right? The knife's not the problem, is it? Right, so, yeah. so Angie, you want to raise your head with it? I guess I just feel that when we talk to a child, no matter how young they are, yep. if, if there is the love and the, and the ah, words... And see, the, this is what I'm looking for. Yeah, okay. So keep going with this. Um, What's the feeling you would project at your child? How can you inculcate without well, words a feeling? For my, I, I would feel that I was trying to educate the child. That's yes, what I feel but let's I've go done. for the feeling, because it's the feeling they're going to feel from you. Yeah... I don't feel I had fears of those sorts of things when I had young children. So, But that didn't stop your children even now from doing dangerous things. 
even now your children decide to do dangerous things because they do not understand the limits of their own free will. Like that's how they get broken legs and that's how they get you know, the things that your children have had in the past. Broken arms, broken legs, broken body, never, bones. Never. <laughs> never? Cuts. There was a case yesterday. Well, she just told me that our son oh. had a fight with a, with a reef. He was surfing, you know. Right, okay. So here we go. Like, so you've got to be careful of your own denial as a parent here, mm. Ange. Mm. So, so what you do is you, you realise, yes, they're obviously still in this state where they don't really understand the limits of their will yet because otherwise they wouldn't have accidents or anything like that at all, ever. Right? So, so the, we need to understand that there's obviously some more work to do there. But, and I agree, we can inculcate into a child these principles without the words. We often use the words, but it's the feelings that accompany our words that are an important thing, right? So we're holding the child. What are the feelings we're going to need to do? Like, what are the feelings we're going to need? To, don't say love, because we've already covered that. <laughs> Glennis, thank you. Um, if the, you're holding the child, yeah. if you actually started to experience some of your fear yeah. and then dropped into your grief, yeah. the child would feel in a, in a way of a, a sadness and, and even connect with the emotion. Of no, they life. won't. If you truly are feeling your grief or your fear, your child won't feel anything from yeah, you. Yeah, right. So that theory I was just doesn't. Sort of, uh, the connection of you actually dropping into your emotions that would instill the, the child would get some sort of idea as to he's doing something wrong? No, they won't. And he's not doing anything wrong. Is he? <laughs> he's not doing anything wrong. He's allowed to stick the knife into his socket. We're just limiting his free will to teach him something. Mm. We've got to stop seeing it as wrong or right and start seeing it as. It's just, it, it, it's just he'd be better off living longer on earth than in the spirit world, you know, when he's got these opportunities. So we need to teach him something. That's all that it's about. Right. Um, you're trying to teach him something. Yes, what are we trying therefore, to teach him? Uh, for his uh, care for his well-being. Yes. Because death may not be the consequence of sticking the knife in. It could be a severe burn. Or a severe shock. Or a severe shock. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's a lesson... From a point of love, yes. uh, parent to child, yes. that you're trying to impart through feelings. Yes. So, yeah. So it's tricky, isn't it, now? Can you see how hard it is for us as parents? Because when feelings are involved, we're still floundering. Yes. Yeah. Aren't we? A lot of us yeah. are still floundering. We don't even know what to do with our feelings. Mm. So, so it's really hard to now give our child a feeling or inc- mm. help our child understanding something through feelings. Yeah. But there is, and, and the fear and the panic of that situation is, is clouding our judgment. And of course. Yeah, so of course. So can you see that your fear, and it's really in a lot of ways, probably fear is too less a word to use. It's often the, the parent is in terror at this point, right? And this is where, this is a very, very damaging emotion to the child, right? Because they're now associating this light socket and the knife with terror. Mm. So there's a lot of very negative associations now going on inside of the child. And in fact, the use of their will with terror in a parent. Yes, yes. So it's a very damaging situation. So we need to get this terror under and feel it ourselves. We, We can't project it outwards. 
projecting outward act of violence, not good for the child, not good for us. And, and, and the child, unfortunately, is going to like, put a lot of things together that are very untrue. And you know what you often call your subconscious or people call the subconscious? You know, why do I do that? It just seems like I feel driven to it. It's often because something like this happened in our childhood where there was a relationship between something the child was doing and the, chi- and the parent's emotion. And this relationship gets established inside of them, their, their, their emotions and their mind and now they carry that relationship for the rest of their life. Right? So the relationship between knives, my mother being scared, or in, in many cases a spider or a snake with my mother being scared, so now I'm scared, you know, now I have phobias as a result of these relationships. So we need to get firstly our terror under reign. So, so the best potential option at this point, you could say at the beginning, is to hold the child and then just uh, and let it hold the knife or whatever. Uh, obviously you don't want it to stab you with it or anything like that. And, and you would then just allow yourself to feel your own terror. Because there is a high likelihood that the child is only sticking the knife in the socket to trigger your terror. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Because yeah. remember, such a young child, like a one-year-old child, is, is almost fully experiencing your emotions that you are denying. So there is a very high likelihood that the child sticking its knife in the socket is only just to trigger your terror. So the first thing you need to do is feel your own terror. So you hold the child and restrict its actions. Now in the holding of the child and restricting its actions, the child may then start going through some emotions of its own. Do you understand? Where it feels like it's being controlled or it feels like it's being... But you need to do it for its own safety, so you keep a hold. But you still need to experience your own terror. You need to feel your own terror. I feel you have to own your terror before you grab your child. Well, it's sometimes pretty hard to do in the moment. You need yeah. to sort of grab the child, get them away from the safety at the same time you start That's owning you it, really. But it's hard to do in the moment. So yeah. just hold the child, feel your terror. And breathe and allow yourself to feel how terrified that was. Now, now you'll know when you deal with your terror in this situation, if you release up, if the child stops squirming and the child is nice and calm and you release the child and it doesn't go back to the socket then you know you've dealt with some of your terror. But if, if you hold the child and it's squirming, now there's another issue for the child in that it wants rebellion. And therefore you would have to continue holding the child until this rebellion comes out of the child. Do you understand? So I would hold the child some more until they express their rebellion, which will come out through rage. And then they will go into a place of grief and they'll have a cry and then you'll be able to let them go and they won't... If you've dealt with your terror, they won't go back to the socket. But if you haven't dealt with your terror, they will go back to the socket. Then you hold them again, but this time, because they have already dealt with that previous experience of rage and anger and then into their grief, they won't squirm and they won't feel enraged. They'll just sit there patiently waiting for you to deal with your terror. And then you know you'll be able to let them go. And while, and while you're in your terror, they will not respond to that terror. They won't trigger it. They won't act upon your terror. Do you understand? 
Can you see the process? If I describe the process for, as a generic description, because we need to sort of get the understanding of it and how it works. Because, babe, is it fair to say that when a child is very small, as we know, they're just completely reflecting the denied emotions in the parent? They may have some injuries. So, well, this, this is where I'm Because leaving. by the time, from, from, from the moment of conception onwards, children get injuries. So by the time they're one year old, they will have some injuries emotionally. Right? But they are almost a complete reflection of the parents' injuries at this point. Mm. Yep. So if, if we own our emotions and the, the, child, the child is likely to respond, if the child does not respond, they have an injury of their own, an addiction of their own. Exactly. And this is the case where we would restrict their will. That's the only time we ever would, to help them understand their will better and understand, uh, release their emotion. Exactly. Because if we, like for the people who went out of body yesterday and the kids went off, if they had just come back into body... Many of the children would have just would have calmed just down. Yeah. yeah. And calmed so, down. And this is what I was trying to say about marrying the two things. Exactly. If you apply the first well, then you'll see what's now in your child and how yes. you can assist them. So yeah. let's summarise the process. I think that's probably yeah. wise. So the first step I would have to take is if the, if the issue is... I have to determine whether the issue is life-threatening or not. And usually we know straight away by the amount of terror we have, right, as to whether it's life-threatening. If it's life-threatening, we take immediate restrictive action. Right? Now, at this stage... We don't know whether our action is loving or unloving because most of the time we have to react immediately so we don't understand whether it's loving or unloving. We just have to take immediate restrictive action. And the second thing we need to do immediately is feel our own response to the event. Yeah, follow me so far? So I've taken the restrictive action of holding the child. It, it's not an act of violence, or it could be an act of violence if I don't do the second thing, couldn't it? If, if I do it and I stay in my fear and I project it at the child and yell and scream at the child, then now it's an act of violence. If I do it without getting all terror, projecting all my terror to the child and projecting all anger to the child or whatever, now it's not an act of violence. It depends on what we do with the second point, doesn't it? So we need to immediately feel our own response to the event while we're in the process of restricting the child. Now, it's very important that we feel the emotions in there. So usually we'll find the emo there's emotions of maybe terror. And if we're not feeling our terror, there will often be emotions relating to anger, like rage or something, like we get really upset. You know? These emotions we need to feel first and allow ourselves to feel. We're still holding the child. Now, there's something now going to be going on for the child. If the child does not have an emotional injury about what you've just done, the child will not respond in any rage or anger itself. Do you understand? So the child will just calmly go, yeah, mum's going through something again, you know. So it goes, and that's the feeling the child has, Right? The feeling is natural within the child, you will find. If you experiment with this with your own children, you'll find that you, you, your life will change within days. <laughs> 
compared to, you know, spending years and years of trying to browbeat them intellectually into a place of understanding truth, right? So we do that. Now the child is in a concurrent event. So, so we feel our own response to the event. I'll just rub this part out put the event there. Now this is the adults. This is the adults or the parents' action. And by the way, uh, parents. <laughs> right? So the parents' action. By the way, I would do it with your children. Do you understand? See, a lot of you wouldn't do it like that, would you? No. But I would do it with your children. And some people have found that. Like I've had a, I've had a child come up and smack me and I just bang, restrict immediately. It happened the other day with little um, Benu. Yeah. Just and restrict. Right? He immediately went into a rage. From being restricted, right? And I just kept holding him. And uh, there were about sixty people present in another room, so I took him out, kept holding him. Yeah, a lot of a lot of you might have been present and actually heard his response, <laughs> which wasn't too pretty, pretty. And then, of course, I had everybody walking up and down the street looking at me. Why am I holding on to this screaming, raging child? And I still held on to him. Right? He wasn't my son, but he had attacked me. And therefore, my responsibility to address it emotionally. Now, he had attacked me because of some emotions of mum and dad, right, being reflected in him. And, uh, and so, you know, I could, address, I could talk to mum about those emotions, but I'm still holding him because now he's going through a process. His process is he's being restricted from taking a violent action and he's in a rage because he still wants to take violent actions. So I restrict him. And I restrict him, and I restrict him, and I restrict him. And if I had been given the license to continue doing so, I might still be there restricting him (laughs) if it took that long. Now, with children, it very rarely takes that long. Like, the longest I've ever seen it take um, a person, a child, he was a three-year-old child, it took him about an hour and a half of inner rage. But you have to hold him. So it means holding your child for an hour and a half Screaming, kicking, crying, carrying on. And maintaining a And maintaining of love a feeling of love towards a child and not going into anger or fear about the process or fear about what other people think of you or any of those kind of things. Now, after a, a, about an hour and a half of this one child, he just relaxed completely and went into grief. And you could feel the... Rela- and then you can grab them and hold them. And nurse them through their grief. Like just, just hold them and let them feel their grief. And he sobbed for about 15 minutes. That's all it took. And then he was over it. And then he asked for some strawberries. <laughs> That's what it's like with children, right? You know, once you're over the issue, it's like gone and everything's forgiven. And, and so this is the thing we need to allow. So that's the adult's action. Feel our own... But you need to keep the restrictive action because you're still... And, but this restrictive action is now based on the child's response to this restrictive action. So the child's response, so if we do child here, the child's response, if the child's response is anger, rage, ETC, etc., 
then we need to maintain the restriction. Right. If the child's response goes into grief, right, then we can release the restriction. If the child's, and I'm not saying like a rageful grief either, you know, where he's kicking and screaming and crying at the same time, that's not, that's rage still, right? If the child's response is nothing, so in other words, they don't have any rage or anger, no grief, they just look at us and think we're a bit silly, then we just release immediately. Does that make sense? Now, if I took that action every single time something happened that was out of harmony with love, not just when their life is threatened, but every single time something's out of harmony with my love, love with the child, usually within three days, the child is almost a completely different person. And if we continue the action for another 20 days or so, generally all of the spirit attachments with the child leave the child as well. But, again, but. we have to acknowledge that the child got into this state because of our behaviour and our soul. Yes. So unless we deal with our soul, it's just going to re-happen. Exactly. And this yeah. is where the parent has to continue sincerely addressing... the causal and effect emotions. And the truth is, most of us as parents are so resistive to that process that we resort to acts of violence, don't we? Yes, really? yeah. yeah. Is my, have I got stuff all over? No, you're there? on. Sorry. Okay, so yes, most of us are really resistive here. Can you see that? Like, once, once the situation's over... We throw it away and forget about it. And we need to make sure now that we maintain it. Because otherwise, the child's just going to engage another event, another event, another event. And eventually, we'll restrict the child and it won't respond in anger, it won't respond in grief. And it'll just look at us again and go, Oh, God, mummy or daddy still hasn't dealt with that. You know, like, <laughs> when are they going to deal with that? They keep restricting me out of their terror you know and after a while we'll learn I, I, actually I don't need to restrict them out of my terror I just need to go into my terror yeah and, and actually right. I don't think I've, I've obviously got issues about being restricted through terror because I don't think we go oh it's, we start to absorb the terror we start to feel afraid no we if, don't absorb terror that's felt by our parents we yeah. only absorb terror that is not felt by our parents I agree and but if we're it. still clinging to them all the time. We've got to question whether we're actually feeling our terror. Of course. Yeah. 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 Now, if we look at a different type of event where it's not terror that drives it, but it's some other thing. Like, for example, the child comes up and hits us. Like, so what would you do? Grab the child, restrict it. Now, most children who come up and hit us have a combination of two things happening. One is that their will is being thwarted already by somebody else and they want a way to express it and so forth. And we don't have to worry about any of those things. All we do is we restrict the child because it shouldn't have hit us. <laughs> it just shouldn't have hit us. And we just restrict the child until such a time as the child gets over its, its rage 
and into its grief about hitting us. And then we just let the child go. That's all we need to do. Now, if I did that with love, that's one thing. But if I do that with rage, I go, hit me all the time, and then off I go. Now I'm committing an act of violence of my own, which wouldn't be loving. Does that make sense to everyone? So it's quite simple. We let that happen, and everything's fine. Ellen? Now, the reason why... Can I discuss the reason why I've brought up children and parents first? Because this same principle applies almost across the board with every single person you could ever meet. And I'll describe why in a minute. In the case of the child with the knife, yep. he is um, really just that dangerous to his own soul. So what's the, is, it because, is it only because of, that his own free will is not developed that you, yes. you know that it's a different situation? Yes, it's an opportunity to teach the child about the use of or the correct use of their free will. There are, there are many things in life that we need to take care in the process of discovery of, otherwise we can kill ourselves. So, for example, if you want to discover gravity, there's a couple of ways you could do it, right? One way is you could just put a little tiny stool up and then jump off it and you see you hit the ground. The other way is you could climb a great big cliff and jump off of it and you'll still hit the ground, but you'll have discovered that it was a permanent... <laughs> Like lesson than now in the spirit world. So, so what we need to do is teach our children that when there is something that they do not know or understand, that they need to take more care in the process of discovery. Does that make sense? This is a major life lesson. If it's something that we don't know, we need to take care in its discovery, and then we'll know. But if we only if we dive straight in with a, with a certain type of discovery, like with electricity, for example, or we dive straight in with gravity, and we feel we can throw ourselves off of a, out of a tree. I remember as a kid, I tried doing that quite a few times, and uh, you know, I tried flying out of a tree. I strapped a tarpaulin to my back and all sorts of things. But and, and so you know, you discover these things. But sometimes there's a few little problems in the process. And what you want to do is teach the child that, no, there, there is a way you can do these things still without fear, but you need to take care in the sense of that there are potential dangers and we need to take care with these potential dangers and that's something the child needs to understand. So if we can teach the child that, every opportunity possible, they'll get to go, OK, you know, there's a stove there and it's got a fire in it. And I know fire from before because when my mum showed me a fire, they built a fire and then they put my hand near the fire, not too much to get burnt, but you could feel that it was really hot and then it got too hot and then you could pull your hand away. And then the, that stove's got a fire in it. So if I touch that stove, and maybe I'm better off just sort of like licking a finger and touching the stove and just seeing if it's hot first, you know. And, and there is a process then that the child discovers through this of discovery of its environment. And we need to engage that process, is what I'm suggesting. We don't want to throw them in the deep end, as the saying goes, and expect them to discover all of these uses of their free will, because they won't survive very long if we do that. Yeah. Can we apply that same teaching principle to uh, an adult, though? Or, like, uh, let's say in the case of suicide, yeah. we start by trying to teach them first, but yes. then you give yes. them their free will. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, we've, so, follow, so we, I've had many people ring me up and say, look, 
And you know how you've been teaching about spirit world and all those things and the earth, and I've often felt like I just should die. Like, it's my point me being here. And, uh, and so um, they ring me up and they say, oh, I've decided on this Friday I'm going I'm to kill myself. What do you think about that? And so I go through with them what I think about that, like what, what, what's going to happen, what happens when they pass. And then we discuss some of the emotional reasons why they want to die, you know, what, what's the underlying feelings of why they want to die. And after we've discussed those things, in almost every case, they don't choose to suicide that Friday. Does that make sense? Um, if somebody gives you the opportunity, it's great to take the opportunity and, and explain to them the underlying purpose, but without controlling them. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into a panic and then go, right, what, I'm going to have a group of people come over, we'll do an intervention. What we'll do is uh, they'll grab you and they'll put you in a straitjacket and this other boat will pump some drugs into you and then we'll get this happening and that happening and we'll chuck you in a mental asylum for a few and we'll do some electroshock therapy just to help you through the process and then hopefully after all of that you won't feel like killing yourself. Like that's a tight, you can see the difference between the reactions, right? Yeah, so they are half dead already, you know, and, and yeah, you've done a lot of terrible actions. So the reality is that every single person on the planet needs to be taught. We're all learners, we all need to be taught something. Like I need to be taught something, you need to be taught something, everybody does. So if we understand the process of learning that we need to take care with it, then that's a great lesson to learn. If the child learns that when they're one or one and a half, wow. Uh, that's a powerful thing, you know. They, they can now have confidence in the discovery of every single truth and know that they won't hurt themselves if they follow a little type of procedure that they've got, that they understand at the soul level, right? And that's a very powerful lesson. I just wanted to go to Mori because his question was um, along those lines and just clarify if we've answered his question. So where is Mori here today? No, nope. no. Nope. Oh, he's out. No worries. Okay. So, the, so his question was? His question was, if a child is acting in a potentially life-threatening matter, is it acting in God's love and truth to limit the will by stopping them in the activity? And you've obviously I've answered, answered that, that yeah. but I just wanted to make sure it covered yeah. everything. So basically asked. I've answered that question. Yes, it is loving. If you act without violence, it is definitely loving to do so. And, and if we act without violence, we'll obviously teach our child something in the process as well. And... From what you're talking about, AJ, it seems like a lot of what our parents did in terms of action would have been potentially very beneficial to us if there wasn't the violent emotions associated with it. Exactly. The biggest problem that a child has in its developing life is not the actions the parent took, but the emotion with which the parent took action. And this is why you're always emphasising to us that as a parent, the best thing is to own your emotions. Exactly. Yeah. Can I point out, so the reason why we've gone through this is very important and I wanted to just, just say these things to you because it might sound quite funny but this is something that we need to consider. Every single one of us is still a child but we've just got a different body. Many of us have five-year-old, two-year-old emotions stuck right inside there. Do you understand? And many of us have five-year-old or two-year-old undeveloped sense of our free will. In other words, most of us have no idea how to exercise our free will in harmony with love. No idea how to restrict somebody else's free will in harmony with love. So almost the same kind of treatment will apply to us. We're the child. 
So, so let's put, let's make this child an adult now who decides to murder somebody. What do we do? We maintain a restriction and let them go through their anger and rage. And then, once they get into their grief, we can release the restriction. Does that make sense? It's the same principle. Let's take it further though. As an adult, what else do they need to learn? They need to learn self-responsibility. So would we restrict, using the penal system, would we restrict a person without giving them the means to produce their own life and responsibility for their own life? No, we would not. What we would do instead is we would create an environment where they have to be responsible for their own life. Does that make sense? So instead of enclosing them in a cell with a heap of other people who are in exactly the same angry condition that they are, what we would do is we would do what we do with the child. We would isolate the child from that environment. We would then help them see their own personal responsibilities. And then in this case, the child, which is now an, an adult who's a murderer, can be isolated, put in a situation where he has to build his own house. And he has to make his own garden. And he has to, to survive. You, don't, you, don't, you, might give him, you might give him seeds, three months food, and that's it. You keep him in isolation. The only visitors he gets are people who love him. So he doesn't get a visit from his mother. Well, he wouldn't be there if, he, if she loved him, right? That's the reality. Like she might believe she loves him, but we'd have to talk to her mother about you know, the proper exercise of love before she could visit her son, right? So what, he gets no visitors except for those who love him. And what we would have is a whole heap of people who we would train to love these people, and help, them, help them understand how to build their own house, how to take care of their own life how to prepare their own garden, how to cook, prepare their own food and so forth. Right? They're the only people that this person sees until such a time as he's gone through the grief. Now we can start introducing other people to his life, people who don't like him, whom he would normally be very angry with and we can see whether he's still angry with them or not. Does that make sense? And we can help him through the process of dealing with these emotions. Once he gets into the grief and also into the repentance about what he's done, we could introduce him to the victim's family and so forth. But he's still responsible for his own life. You know what we do instead of that in the penal system? We spend $60,000 on the average per person who is a murderer every single year to house him. Now you think about it, after four years he could have built his own home. Now most of them are put away for 15 years plus. $60,000 by 15 years adds up to what? $900,000. We're better off giving him a block of land that he has to build his own house on and we put a fence around it and we have a, you know, gar a guards or whatever prevent him from getting out and we, he, he's restricted in there. And then after his 15-year term's finished, we just tear down the walls and he's, he's got his own house that he owns. 
We're better off doing that than we are doing what we're currently doing. Because what we're currently doing doesn't create anything. Do you understand? So what we'd be better off doing is saying, right, you've got your own area. You're going to be under restriction in a certain way for a certain period of time. And this is the process we're going to go through. And you will not get out of this process unless you engage it. That's the, that's, so this will be like forever until you die or it could be the next 10 years or it could be the next 5 years. It just depends on whether you engage it. And you're going to have to engage it sincerely because sooner or later we'll expose the emotions that are not sincere. Do you understand? Just like we would with the child. Exactly the same. Why don't we do that? The main reason why we don't do that now is because we want to punish them. We want to take out our rage and anger on them. Don't you think they've already had a life of that? That's why they considered murder in the first place, probably. Right? So, so they've already had a life of that. We don't need to do that with them. We need to love them, but we need to restrict them because we don't want them murdering anybody else. Right? But with the amount of resources we currently spend doing it, we could do far better you know, than we're currently doing. And in the end, he'd end up with a house that he himself has built in a, in a, in a place that he himself can live if he desires to, be self-sufficient completely. He doesn't have to go anywhere else. And we could just take down the walls and then make another temporary prison somewhere else for a new inmate. That's what we could do. If we really loved them, that's what we could do. Dennis? And it's really, if you think about it, exactly the same as what we're doing with the child, but just in an expanded manner. Would he, would he naturally grow in, in love, in natural love, even if we weren't sort of bringing God into the situation? Well, there's a high likelihood he would, wouldn't he? If you think about it, if, if you're now surrounded by a group of people who love you, they are only invested in you going through some emotions so that you no longer murder... They are very interested in you paying the price of what you've done in the sense from a consequence perspective. In other words, they want you to see what inside of you has caused you to take the action you took. They want you to see the effects of the action. They want you to go through the process of like, feeling some degree of sorrow about the action mm. that's not fake but actually real. They want you to become responsible for your own life. They want to give you the gift of some property, to give you some gift of some food, give you the gift of some seed to get a start. All the things you've never had your entire life. Now, after all of that, it would be pretty hard, a pretty hardened criminal to not respond to that over a period of time. Yeah, and really he'd be more open if he was um, not preached at. Exactly. You wouldn't preach at him. You don't have to preach at him about, oh, you need to be this religious faith or you need to have this viewpoint of God. You don't need any of that. You just engage him in the same manner that you would engage anybody else in a real state. Does that make sense? Don't need to preach at him. Don't need to convert him. You're just trying to change the underlying reasons why he took the actions he took. And, and can you see, it would be a very, very hardened person who would spend 20 years going through that process without changing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, if we come down the front, then up to Angela. I just had the feeling come into me that this is what happens to us when we pass over. <laughs> exactly. You see, what we're trying to do is mirror what God does with us. 
So what God does is, is he maintains a restriction. When, as soon as we pass, unless we're earthbound, we, as soon as we don't, no longer decide we're going to be earthbound, because we're still hardening our hearts when we're earthbound, as soon as we decide to not be earthbound anymore, we go to a location. That's our restriction. We're in that location. We can't get out of that location. We can't raise our condition out of that location without having to feel something, without having to change. And God maintains that restriction and maintains that restriction, maintains that restriction from, uh, just like a loving father would to a son, right? Maintains that restriction until the grief is released. When the grief is released, bang, the condition elevates. Now they can go to a new location. Exactly the same as what we can do. This is a beauty, you see. And remember yesterday we said during the presentation, I think we read it out right at the beginning, um, where we said, um, is it there? Uh, no, no, no. Where is it? I can't remember where it is now. Oh, yes, I know where it was. It was over here. What governs how we may limit the free will of others? The answer that we had in the, in the outline was the principles that govern our ability to limit the free will of others are exactly the same principles that govern the laws that God uses to limit our own free will. So what, what I'm suggesting really is taking the same actions as God takes with your child... And with every other single person, collectively we can do this. We could do this collectively, we could take the same action with every other person. Now of course when you begin this process on earth, there's not a structure. So, so unfortunately the first few people who start triggering all of this process on earth are going to be laughed at, ridiculed, you know, all the other things that normally go on with change. And then eventually a group of people will come along to a certain structure. And once they recognise the structure as the best structure that can be used, then they will often embrace it very, very rapidly after that. Mm -hmm. It just requires some of us to have a lot more courage in the use of our free will right now for these structures to be embraced. Does that make sense? Thanks, Karen. You had Ange before as well. And who? Ange. Ange said before. No. Fire. Yeah, no, other Angela. Oh, sorry, Angela. We were going there first. Sorry, Angela. Let's do you first. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to make a, a comment. You know how you said about Luca before with the strawberries? How he. I didn't mention the name, oh, but sorry, go on. Yes. The little boy with the strawberries. Yeah. Um, he was actually immediately after, he was more loving. He shared the strawberries. Exactly. After he cleared the emotion. I just got why. Yeah. Because he'd cleared the emotional some... resistance to yeah. why he was being unloving in the first place. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, what happened with the, with the situation, I actually recommended that the little boy stay strapped in his, in his car chair and he just screamed, like Ange was present, and we, he just screamed and carried on and threw things and <laughs> went on for quite some time. Of course, after a while, everybody in the car, because there were six people in the car, they were sort of they go like this, what in the hell is AJ doing to us, right? This is the feeling they had. But while it went on, eventually you could feel the change in him, couldn't you, Angie? It just felt this change into softness. 
And that's what happens to everybody. They have a change from the anger and the rage into the softness, which is the, the grief itself. And as they go through that process, then you know, yep, this is where the real emotion is that's coming out now. Yeah, and at the point, strawberries were his most favourite thing. Yeah. And then he shared them around the car. Just amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of actually holding on to them themselves. So we stopped the car, I got out, bought him some strawberries, gave it to him, and, and he then shared his strawberries, even. Mm. Whereas before, he was throwing everything at everybody. <laughs> totally different person. So, so what, what we see through that process is the exact same process we need to go through. We are just these little children with all these locked up emotions in a big body. This is why many of you are still in the tantrum phase. Do you understand? Because you, you get to get into this place and, you, and you're having tantrum about what's going on. We need to go through the tantrum as an emotion, but we need to get through it and out the other side. Does that make sense? So, Karen? I just thought of my um, very demented mother and other people who are very demented and have terribly aggressive outbursts. Yep. Is the answer for them the electrical thing that gets rid of the spirits? Yes. Yep. Get rid of the spirits because the, the dementia causes a big attachment to spirits. There's often quite a lot of spirits around them. Get rid of the spirits. And when I say get rid of them, I, I need to... Obviously, my feeling is love. When, someone, when they hear that word, they often go, get rid of them. That's not the way. What we want to do is we want to disconnect the person from the spirit and then we want to speak with the spirit as well as the person. Do you understand? And if the person who's, and can't be spoken to, you'll find them a lot more docile anyway, a lot, a, lot, a lot less controlled. The problem with a person with dementia is they have an unwillingness to remember their life, which is a major problem. And so um, that needs to, if, if we really want to cure that problem, we've got to get a lot of the population wanting to remember all of their life before they hit their 30s. Instead of, instead of avoiding all their life and then hitting 50 or 60 and then, then having dementia and not wanting to remember anything about their life. Yep. Yep. Behind in Sunday. Just talking about the um, prisoner situation that mm-hmm. you were talking about, um, I just connected to remembering this film that I really loved. It was called Doing Time, Doing Vipassana and it was about the worst prison in, the, in India yep. where it was that, overcrowded... What's it called? What's it called doing time, doing Vipassana. It's about the Vipassana meditation and feeling through uh-huh. your body yeah. and getting to... I guess these prisoners got to their emotions through sitting there. It was worse for them to sit there restrained in their pose than to be in a prison situation where they yeah. had free will to do anything. Yeah. And they ended up... It was so moving because they ended up like hugging their guards and you know, crying and then connecting to the family members of the people they murdered. Yeah. And wanting to do service for them. Yeah, it wow. was so. I've got this film. I have to watch it again because yeah, now I'll be And that is a true reflection of repentance. Repentance, yeah. just through feeling the own, their own pain through their own body and feeling like I need to feel connected to this pain. And it was driving them obviously to their emotion of the deepest why they did this yep. act of murder or whatever, yeah. or rape or whatever. It was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's free online actually. You can just oh, okay. get it off YouTube. So, yeah. do, so how does I've, it? How do you spell it? Doing time. Yeah. Doing vipassana. And vipassana is V. I'm just going to write it because I'm bad v- at spelling. V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A. Right. Vipassana. Yeah, right. it's yep. beautiful. Good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it sounds like a good movie to, to observe. Alex, thanks. 
So I just wanted to add to that. Vipassana is actually used um, in yoga to completely tune out of one's body. It's not used at the moment in a way of of connecting to one's emotions. Yeah, but Mostly with these in, guys... In, in, this, in, in the Western world. I'm yeah. Saying. It sounds like with these guys, though, they did actually tune into their emotions. Yoga can be used very positively or negatively, of course. So we need to take care with how we use anything. If we're using it to tune out of ourselves, then, of course, we're not going to go through this anger, rage, grief process that we need to go through. Is that the practice where they have the week-long silent retreats? Yeah, because... That, um, I've heard a lot of people go into their... Emo- that you're not supposed to be. You're supposed to be, like, zenning. But um, that's probably a bad use of the word, zenning. But, that's <laughs> but a lot of people actually connect because there's silence and you're breathing. Yeah. And they're so restricted yeah. that they all of a sudden things start yeah. coming out of them, yeah. yeah. So I understand what you're saying, Alex. Yeah. So, like, a lot of times the motive is different in, in, in day-to-day practice, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Rochelle, you had, and then come down to John. Yeah, just based on that, I've um, known people that have actually um, become spirit-influenced in Vipassanas and had to be, you know, committed. Yes. Because <laughs> the teachers don't know how to deal with that. Exactly. Because it's all about not feeling. So, yeah, so you've got to understand the truth, don't you? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah not expressing. Yeah. Before you use a technique. So yeah. I'm not recommending the technique. I'm just. A, it sounds like a good movie to watch, though, in terms of how repentance can occur and change can occur. Yeah. John? So when the child becomes a 15-year-old... Yeah, um, restrict- tricky now, Just for example, it? just hypothetically. Yeah, just hypothetically. <laughs> yeah. This is good hypothetical. So the restrictions is still maintained, such as grounding, such as, you know, any restrict... As long as it's done that, not with anger or fear, and while the parents still go... Well, while the parents go through their emotions. Yes, what are the actions that a 15-year-old... But By the way, can I just point out, if you've left it to that 15 years old, then yes, you've got a bit of a handful on your hands already. So I, I, we need to acknowledge that. But most parents, unfortunately, do leave it a long time, and it's only in the teenage years that they start seeing the rebellion of their child properly. And then as a result of that... They, they, you know, feel uncertain of what to do because often the child's bigger than they are. Mm. So it's pretty hard to hold them in a restriction. <laughs> uh, you need five people to hold them down. Now, of course, if a person was a, um, was a, a severe offender, you would consider having five persons to hold them down um, just, just to restrict them eventually and, and until you could educate them about what process they're going to go through. So you would even consider doing that, but it has to come from love anyway. So there are times when we might even consider that with our children. However, there are other more powerful tools generally available to us. Uh, You think about a child, what are the main potential things by the time they're 15 that they want to do? So John knows this because, you know... (laughs) We'll get taken to places. Um, so they want to be taken to places, yeah, yeah um, because they can't go themselves, but they want to go. Fulfilling their addictions, food addictions. So food. Um, music. Music. What about? Um, technology. Yeah, technology. So let's call it all technology, shall we? Yeah. So food. So we've said three so far. One is free, unrestricted access to where they want to go and they want you to take them. Yep. Second thing is food. They want you to prepare their food for them generally. Yep. They want you to buy what they like. Clean up afterwards. Clean up after you, them and everything. Yeah. Yep. And um, what else? So at the third, uh, the technology. Phone cards, phone cards, phone money. cards phones, yeah. mobile phones, money. computers, you know, telly, all these things. What else? 
Sorry? Friends coming over, you know, you know, those kind of things. Anything else? Sorry? They want you to pay for it all. Cash. Cash. Very important. Now, you can devise methods to both positively and negatively give feedback on every one of those particular issues. So myself and Andrew and Rob had a discussion about these matters with, with their children. And we talked about having a, a need to have both positive and, and negative reinforcement. So positive reinforcement occurs when, when the person exercises a desire to take responsibility, do the, you know, and all those kind of things, and, then, and to do the loving thing. To love, because right? everything you're about to say, it's I want about to pretext. Love. You're trying to teach your child about free will and love. And you're trying to teach your child how to love themselves and how to love them, the other people and how to love their environment. So those three things are very important. You include love of self, love of others and love of the environment. So whenever their love of self is, you know, like they don't tidy out their room, that's a love of self issue, then you would have to address it somehow. Love of, uh, now you can also address the love of self issue positively by offering to pay them for work that they do for the rest of the family that they don't have to do. Right? So, so, for instance, you clean the family's bathroom and you get 10 marks. Right? And, but it has to be done properly. It has to be done thoroughly. It can't be done, you know, just five-minute job and, and spent the 10 bucks. And, and when they engage their desires, you give them positive feedback. So, and this is a very brief summary of the process because um, I've spent a couple of hours going through with Andrew Bob what to do Almost about these particular things. And it's a whole different discussion in itself. But if you, if you allow yourself to look at the areas that are important to them, they're the areas you can begin to go through this process of restriction. Now, many times, if the restriction re results in their anger, then you impose more restriction. If the restriction... Eventually, they'll get into the grief about what, what's going on. And again, because they're 15, you can reason with them now. So... You, you can intellectually reason, spend the time with them reasoning about these particular issues if they want to. If not, you can still impose the restrictions without any reasoning whatsoever. Right? And as a parent, you have a lot of power to impose loving restrictions in order to help the child understand love. And what I find most parents doing is totally abdicating their role as a parent imposing hardly any restrictions whatsoever and then they wonder why their house is a mess and mum's always cleaning up after everybody and she's always washing this and doing that and making dinner and, and, and you know, they come home all hours of the night and because we've given them free will they're allowed to do that and all these kind of ideas and then we go shopping and they're going, I want you to buy that and I want you to buy this and I've had one mother say, I have to buy it for her, it's her free will and I say, what about your free will? Like, you're the one spending the money. What's, where's your free will gone in this process? And, and also, what are you teaching your child? If it, can, if it gets everything it wants, without restriction, even the things that are damaging to its own self, physically, spiritually, and morally, and, and emotionally, then of course it's going to grow up to be an egomaniac. You know, it's going to, be, it's going to be grow up to be a child who actually has this viewpoint that everybody in the world should be there for its own benefit. And that is a very, very damaging thing you can do to your child. And the, and the restriction maintains until you get the grief or, or remorse or true remorse? Exactly. There's no such thing as yeah. you're grounded for two weeks. Yeah. 
No such thing. It's until there is a remorse. Until there's some resolution of this problem. Emotionally, yeah. Emotionally. Yeah, emotionally. Now, a child who learns that, initially the child will become very very, uh, annoyed through this restriction. So I remember when... And Dave and Jody stayed with us, and with with little um, Luca, uh, Lucas and um, Jasper. Jasper. When they first came, Lucas and Jasper were very angry with myself and Mary, and often they'd be in a rage with Mary and a rage with me, and and so they'd get our, you know, they'd get crayons and draw all over our furniture, or they'd get, you know, all sorts of things would happen, right? And and after a while, we talked to Jody about how to address these issues emotionally. So. So what, what she finished up doing was things like when Luca when Luca Lucas 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 in this case is a different person and when Lucas um, drew all over our lounge suite, Jody then said, "Well, he's not allowed in the house until he's repentant." So he wasn't allowed in the house for meals. He wasn't allowed to go to the toilet in the house. He wasn't allowed to do anything in the house until he was sorry for what he'd done. Just and, let but, them know that he had a bedroom and... Oh, well, he had a bedroom to sleep in. <laughs> he had an eco tent to live in, yeah. Right? But, but he wasn't allowed in this house that he'd, that he'd ruined, you see? So, so he, uh, he, he went on for about uh, two weeks in just total rebellion to that. He, every night when he was not allowed in the house, he screamed, at, you know, screamed outside, he'd cry outside in rage, you know, he'd be sitting outside in the ground eating his, eating his food that he wasn't allowed in the house to sit on the table to eat and he'd be crying, and, but he'd be in a rage about it, you know, and this went on for a long time. And then one time I was just doing the dishes outside. He walked up outside because he was still outside. He wasn't allowed in. And, and, he, and he come up to me and he said, he said, AJ, and I said, yes, mate. He goes, I'm really sorry for what I did with your furniture. I said, oh, that's wonderful, Lucas. Like... What made you feel that? So I asked him a few questions. He was saying, oh, I could see that, you know, I damaged it. And, you know, he was in his childlike way, he explained these things. And, and, and he didn't even expect to come inside. And I said, how would you like to ask your mummy whether you'd be allowed back inside now? Oh, he, he didn't even think of it. And he, oh, okay, no worries. And he went around and asked mummy and she said, yeah, he's allowed to come back inside. Does that make sense? And it took two weeks. Now, the next time he did a similar thing... It took about two days or three days like, because they become less resistive to the process if they know the parent's going to be consistent with the process. Yeah? And that's the beauty of doing it that way. Now, it's exactly the same with any other person we deal with. We are all spoilt, rotten children who all think we are able to get our own way whenever we want and we don't understand the process of free will. And when we're restricted in some way, we come to acknowledge, wow, maybe I've got a problem at some point. But at, I, I don't encourage you to encourage repentance. Wait for repentance. Do you understand? Encouraging repentance is going, you go and say sorry now. You say sorry. How many parents have done that in their lives? You say sorry. You shouldn't have done that. You know you shouldn't have done that. You go and say sorry. You chose to sit now. I don't want to say sorry. I still feel like I was totally justified doing exactly what I was doing. And, and we're saying, you go and do it now. Otherwise, you won't get this and you won't get that. And after a while, they go, wow, that was one too many things taken away. So I'll go up and say sorry. And they mean none of it because it's not coming from their heart. They've got to mean it. How do they mean it? By you not engendering or pulling it out of them, but rather by them having to go through a process where they have their own realisation. 
wow, I have done something that has damaged another person that wasn't very nice to them, I feel bad about it, I have a cry about it, and eventually they want to repair the damage. Does that make sense? They want to clean up the wall that they drew all over or whatever it is that they've done if they go through the process completely. Yep. The other thing, the other beautiful thing about restriction, particularly of a child, is when you restrict the child, the spirits with the child are incapable of now expressing their own free will. And many spirits who are overcloaking your children will leave them as soon as that happens consistently. Right? So we've encouraged a lot of uh, parents with very young children to just go through this process. It has to, you have to be pretty consistent. But some of them, it's been like night and day within three days. It's like they have different children. And in fact, many parents don't even know the personality of their own children. Because actually the person who's with them most of the time is not their own children but some spirit who passed over 5, 10, 15 years ago who's overcloaking that child. And that's a sad fact of our day-to-day life in many cases. When we go through this process of restricting a child and teaching about free will and it goes through its grief processes, it disconnects itself from this spirit influence through its own soul interaction. And as a result of that, the spirits can no longer interfere with them. And it also means you have nice, calm children on your hands most of the time as a result. Because there are many spirits in the spirit world, or I should say who are earthbound, who spend their entire life looking for children that they can overcloak and express their unhealed emotions through. This is why many of you women get your children beating you. Some of them will come and punch you in the breast. Even How many of you have had that happen to you as a parent? where a child has come up and punched you, like as a woman, and punched you right in the breast, where, which is about you being a woman. Don't you think that's a personal thing? <laughs> of course it is, by some spirit who's overcloaking the child and expressing their rage and anger towards a woman. Do you see? So when we disconnect them from all of these kind of things, none of those kind of events will occur. Now what's the time? Because yeah, I think we've gone a while. Four, yeah. So what we need to do now, if it was just, we, we need to continue this discussion at another time. Do you, do you get the basic principles of how it works in practice? And we can expand on these principles in areas of politics, religion, and all the other major systems of the world. And you can, if you, if you think about it, you can refine every major system in the world by applying these basic principles about free will. Like, so, so if you look at religions... Many times there's huge restrictions based on personal opinions that are, or personal opinions of a founder of the religion. That, you know, once, once we look at these laws, we see that doesn't need, that's not needed anymore. If you look at the areas of cults where there's a lot of fear, that's not needed anymore. If you look at the area of you know, politics, penal systems, uh, legal systems and all these other areas, you'll find that if you apply these basic principles, it simplifies all the laws down to this real tight definition of what's loving, what isn't loving, and we can go through the process. So hopefully uh, this weekend we've helped you go through this idea that free will is not as free as you probably have believed it to be in the sense that it's only completely free when you're completely in harmony with love. 
And until that time, we have a lot of things to learn about our free will and how we exercise our will. So hopefully it's given you a bit of an idea of what to experiment with and discover. And uh, we'd like to thank you for, for being a part of the discussion today as well. What, what we're going to do... Sorry? You I was just going to ask everyone, can you see why um, AJ's placed so much emphasis on the soul, humility, feeling your own emotions and the development of your soul before presenting this material? Because if you apply it without that, it becomes very damaging. Yeah, if you apply it just with your head, it's not going to yeah. work very well. Yeah. Okay. Well, what we're going to do now is have a break, probably for 40, 40 minutes or so, and then we'll give you the second half of our little presentation, our concert, um, if for those of you who wish to stay. All right. Thank you.